0: Hi everyone. Before we get into our main discussion proper, there are a few pieces of rather complicated and distressing, maddening news stories that we felt we should address because they are heavier topics before getting into the later parts of this episode which are much lighter in comparison. First up, we want to follow up on the ongoing story of Tatsuya Matsuki's arrest for groping two underage girls back in the summer. He was handed a guilty verdict by the Tokyo District Court. was sentenced for the charge of committing a coerced indecent act on a female middle school student. This was back in late December. And he was sentenced to a year and six months in prison, but, unfortunately, his sentence has been suspended for three years, and he will not go to prison if he remains in good behavior. Once again, the precedent set by Shima Bukuro and Watski is coming into play, and Tatsia Matsuki, a convicted, now sex offender, is once again off the hook. And time will tell whether, like those other two examples, he will worm his way back into the manga world and, God forbid, the pages of Shonen Jump. But this distressing problem with sex offenders and pedophiles, unfortunately, has not been restricted to just across upon Japan, because we had a very recent homegrown situation one that is very relevant, unfortunately, to this show, in that Stefan Koza, translator for Jujutsu Kaisen and several other Shonen Jump series, was arrested on December 7th by the Hemden Police Department in Great Falls, Virginia, in conjunction with the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force For five felony counts, possession of child pornography, and five felony counts of distribution of child pornography. And he's currently being held at the Fairfax County Adult Detention Center, where he's going to be held without bond. And his court date is in early March, March 3rd. But it just gets worse because this isn't the first time he's been outed as a pedophile. And his previous offense was even more horrifying in a way because he was an elementary school teacher when he was in the JET program back in Japan. And in 2014, he was arrested under suspicion of setting up a camera in an elementary school girl's changing room. Uh, He denied the charges at the time, but he was arrested for that. And shortly after... The timeline certainly suggests that he was evicted from the jet program and booted back to the states because of this. And in Japan, they, in his school that he was working for, were trying to keep it under wraps because they didn't want to get in trouble and they were trying to protect themselves. And so, I mean, the principal and vice principal of that school got charged later that year too, but yeah, uh, he is a monster, a creep. And I am so angry and sorry that we ever had him on our show. Unfortunately, he was on two of our episodes and we had mentioned him in several others. Because, you know, he seemed to be a trusted translator in the community. But unfortunately, behind that mask lurked a pedophilic creep monster who... His crimes weren't even being hidden because he had been arrested for this before, and yet, for some reason, until now, we no no one has brought brought this up, and we didn't know about it. And I guess everyone should have done their due diligence and researched his background. And it's just insane that he ended up getting hired by this at all to work on the series that he did, since this is like a this his previous arrest was like published. And the song issue when it was, it was made public. But now a lot of different things about him feel extremely creepier in retrospect, like his whole mask, glasses, gimmick facade on YouTube. Like his face had been exposed in that article. Was he trying to just cover up his identity so he wouldn't be outed? Who is to know, say? All I know is that he Is a pedophile, he is a creep, and I don't want anything to do with him on this show, and I hope that the manga world doesn't either, and I hope he's blacklisted and never allowed back in. And I'm just sorry that so many of the series he's worked on are tarnished by having his name in the translator credits, not to diminish the work of everyone else who worked on that series, which is also why this is so infuriating, is that this is just a huge hit to a lot of different series that a lot of different people worked on and enjoyed that they contributed to that is being marred because of this one guy being a creep. And obviously, I've mentioned before, we had him on episodes and we mentioned him on others. I took the liberty of taking down those episodes that we had him on. And I went in and re-edited every episode I could remember where his name was brought up. So I have tried my best to completely erase his presence from our previous podcast. As far as the episodes that were taken down go, there were segments of those episodes that had nothing to do with him. So because I do feel that it doesn't have to be that those parts have to be lost i will re-upload those as re-edited versions of those episodes with his presence just completely erased so i've already done that and then eventually i'll get to re-uploading them after some time has passed but yeah like suffice to say we hope this is the last time we'll have to mention him on this podcast. I mean, I'm sure we'll have to report on the follow up when his court day comes and we hear what he's been sentenced to. You know, he'll be probably face many years in prison for his offenses. I hope he, he does get imprisoned. Uh, but this is really heartbreaking because again, we had trusted this guy. We had thought he was a friendly dude, but he was hiding some really scary, horrifying truths behind his mass facade. So it's unfortunate.
1: I kind of vented about this a little bit on Twitter when I heard the news, but this this really hits a lot differently when the person convicted was someone you were on friendly terms with. And, you know, just... I don't want to spend too much longer on this, but yeah, suffice to say, when uh, Lum in particular told me about this news i was uh obviously i was very disgusted angry and felt very betrayed and uh i'm at least more hopeful that you know unlike in japan with a lot of this stuff and a lot of the uh unfortunately a lot of the authors that we now know are convicted sex pests i'm a lot more confident in our justice system that stefan will be punished you know America does not take kindly to this kind of thing. So, I don't know. I I don't really know what else I can add to this other than I'm 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 glad that hopefully we won't have to talk too much more about him in the future other than this. And yeah, it's 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 soul crushing quite honestly, but eventually I think, you know, time will heal all wounds and I think we'll eventually get through this i'm personally i'm you know it's 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 been a few weeks i think or at least a week since we've learned it's
0: only been a week really
1: (sighs) yeah it feels like it's been longer already Um, this
0: particular past week has felt
1: like a whole year in and of itself jesus yeah um but i at least feel a little better after kind of spending some time you know, away from it, so, I don't know, we'll we'll get through this, like, like Lum said, we've already taken steps to remove those episodes, and we'll eventually put them back up, you know, with him removed, and, you know, every, everything will be fine, but right now, yeah, this, this, this really, this just sucks, like, I, I don't know how else I could put it, uh, but we, but we felt like we should mention all this stuff at the top of the show because, again, it's it's really hard to transition out of these kind of things and into all the lighter stuff that we do have to talk about.
0: I guess one last point that I do want to address that really disappoints me and infuriates me is Viz's pretty much lack of comment on the situation. From what I have seen, they have only really responded to Crunchyroll's request for comment on this, and their response is basically saying, Oh, well, he wasn't a full-time employee. We have several other translators. So the series that he had worked on, like his personal life, is not going to affect them coming out. Which is not the response they should make. They should be like a response about, oh, we are so sorry for not doing due diligence and researching his background before hiring him to work on these things. Uh, we apologize to our readers. Like, there's just no accountability here. There's just completely brushing it off. And this is something that we'll get into when we finally post the sexism in Shonen Jump and Sex Pest Problem podcast that has been sitting for a while now, and is just becoming more pertinent as ever. This is this lack of accountability by Viz and situation to a deal with these sex offenders address these situations and do right to the audience to like kind of maybe even rework those series retranslate or redo those series to remove their credit or name or like that's a whole topic that we talk about in that podcast and that's just becoming more relevant to that or I just wanted to comment one briefly that I was very disappointed this is a statement in reaction to this situation
1: yeah but don't worry, your comics will still come out like that's that's not really what we're worried about yeah yeah that that's bullshit quite honestly, and it's like we said like we 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 talked about this on Twitter as well, but i it it it's a really messy situation like i don't think I personally don't think there is an easy solution because there are other people involved in the process of getting these graphic novels out, but still. You know, like, some kind of effort on something would be nice. At least at least some kind of acknowledgement would have been nice. Like, hey, you know, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just a disheartening, disgusting situation all around, both these stories. But, unfortunately, we will probably have to continue reporting about them as the stories develop in the future. And certainly these... Topics are relevant and discussed in an upcoming podcast that you can listen to pretty shortly. But I think we should move on into some lighter discussion, some more passionate, happier discussions in our Doro Hidoro episode.
1: This is the manga Mavericks Podcast from allcomic.com, episode 147. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton.
0: And I'm Ramayasha, and hey, we're going down into the hole because <laughs> we are reviewing Yuhayashi's Doro Head Doro. Everyone's favorite face and mushroom growin' smoke spewing, manga. We talk all the nitty gritty details with some great guests: Ellie Blackasmoko, Sorrell, and Marion, our good friend Microwavey, all of whom are huge Dorohead Doro mega fans, mega heads. Then they. Help us to travel through the crazy, wacky, bizarre world of sorcerers and devils and so much more.
1: Yeah, yeah, we spent a long time talking about Dora Hedoro. Uh, I had a good time, and uh, uh, just just at the top of the show, I, I I do want to apologize for how long it has kind of taken to get this episode out. A lot of that is on me. This this was a big episode for me to edit. Uh, a lot of technical issues that I kind of had to get through, but uh, I, I I think hopefully the podcast should be listenable. Um, I, I listened back to it anyway, and I, I think I, it sounds a lot better than I thought it was going to be uh, in some places. Uh, but uh, yeah, a, a lot of issues I kind of ran into with the editing on this one, plus we – A a lot of rescheduling kind of went with this episode as well. I originally really wanted to post this around, like, October or so, but that just didn't happen. Um, But it's out now, and that's all that matters, so I hope everybody enjoys it. Um, But uh, we do have some stuff at the top of the show that we do kind of need to talk about. Uh, Mainly some Patreon stuff, because uh, we got a new patron, and uh, if you sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash magamavericks at any tier... Uh, you will get a shout-out on basically the next episode we record after you sign up. And so we want to give a shout-out to Uh I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce your handle on Patreon. Um, but uh, we want to thank them nonetheless for signing up. Uh, we really appreciate uh, every new patron that uh, decides to sign up for our Patreon. Because again, you're supporting the show. And uh, you're helping us do what we love to do, and that's talk forever about manga. Again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, you heard me right. If you sign up for any tier, uh, you will get a shout out on the show. And I guess we might as well uh, talk about that for a little bit because uh, uh, patrons already were aware of this. But uh, we did make a few very small changes to, uh, to the Patreon lately. Uh, to kind of consolidate a few things, and uh, I guess now we should uh, we should talk about those a little bit, because uh, basically, if you sign up for even as low as a dollar, uh, you will be guaranteed a shout-out on the show, uh, plus uh, access to a viewable version of our schedule. That's right. Uh, now you will have access uh, to our schedule uh, of podcasts for over the next year, uh, because... Uh, quite frankly, we ha- we already have a lot of the year planned out in advance. Uh, obviously, you know, as I mentioned, anything can happen within a year. A lot of things do change in a year, and uh, it is really hard to kind of keep up with those changes sometimes because uh, you know, sometimes we do try to let our patrons know, like, what's coming up and, again, like, a lot of changes happen between now and when we put these podcast episodes up so, you know, uh, we figured it'd be easier to let patrons know like what 's coming by just giving them access to our schedule and hey, you might even see us edit stuff in real time like we're we 're always changing the schedule uh we 're always either adding or taking out stuff for uh for later um it's it 's always changing, and we figured we 'd give you access to that so now you can see what 's coming up and I figured that'd be uh that 'd be pretty fun you know so that 's that 's what you get at the one dollar tier. Uh, At $2, you'll still get access to early editions of the podcast, again, whenever we have those edited. Uh, For this podcast in particular, the Dora Hedora podcast, uh, by the time you're listening to this on our main feed, uh, it'll have already been on our Patreon for about a week or so. So, uh, you know, if you want to listen to our podcast as early as possible, uh, you want to sign up for the $2 tier, and uh, obviously you'll get uh, all previous rewards from that. Uh, at our three dollar tier, so I I haven't made an official post about this yet, but I think it's safe to talk about. Uh, more details on this will come because I have more plans for this. But I guess it's safe to announce that uh, Sakaki and I are attempting to uh, to do another side podcast because I <laughs> I I can't stop starting new podcasts apparently. Um, but uh, we are starting a new podcast entitled Another Day Another Adventure. Uh, where basically we're just going to talk about Dragon Ball. Uh, specifically, we, uh, our great ambition is to go through the entirety of the animated franchise of Dragon Ball. Uh, that means we want to cover every animated series, every special, every movie. Uh, w- will we eventually do that? I don't know, but we're going to try. Um, and that's kind of the point of this podcast. We have a few episodes recorded already, uh, eventually they will be up on the Patreon. Hopefully by the time, uh, February kind of comes around, uh, I do want to post those soon. Um, but yeah, at the $3 tier, uh, you will get early access to those episodes in particular, uh, because I do plan on posting those publicly. Uh, I just don't know when yet, but un- until I figure out like when to publicly start posting this podcast, uh, I figured it'd be cool to kind of give patrons a sneak preview Of that podcast in particular. Um, I think eventually what I want to do with that in particular is uh, have a particular number of episodes up for patrons exclusively. And then once we get to a certain number of episodes on the Patreon, start posting them publicly. Uh, That's the plan anyway. But yes, uh, everybody will have access to a specific number of episodes of that podcast in particular, uh, along with basically all of our other unreleased podcasts and bloopers uh we're basically adding those to our $3 tier. Uh those were originally set at a $15 tier. Uh but we wanted to uh, basically give you guys uh, more content that you want at the $3 tier. And so we decided to move all that stuff over there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it for like the biggest changes. Uh obviously, we still have our $5 tier where if you sign up, you will get a monthly bonus podcast at the end of every month guaranteed. You know, that's where we post stuff like our Manga Mavericks Book Club read-throughs. Uh Eventually, we want to look into other stuff like possibly some anime watch-throughs, Uh possibly. We're still kind of like tinkering with that, kind of deciding on, you know, what we want to cover first. Um And those might not come for a little bit, because obviously we still got to finish up our read-through of Saint Seiya, And we have a bunch of other stuff kind of planned for the year. And so, yeah, I mean, basically, if you want to let us know, like, what you want to listen to on the Patreon in particular, uh, we do have a section about that on our survey that you could still take uh, until the 31st. And so, yeah, uh, again, links for the survey in particular are going to be in the description for this episode. And then uh, we haven't talked about this too much, but we do have a $20 tier. Where, if you sign up for that and you are successfully a part of that tier for at least six months, you will get to tell us what to record about. uh, If there's a series you want us to talk about, you know, within reason, or any other topic, or basically anything you want us to talk about on Manga Mavericks, Manga Mavericks at Movies, or any of our other side podcasts, uh, that's basically the tier where you can just request us to record a podcast. And so, yeah, uh, that's really about it for all of our tiers. Again, uh the biggest changes are kind of with the uh with the three and five, uh with the I guess with the three dollar tier specifically. Yeah. Um, uh, but again, uh we figured this was the best way to kind of consolidate everything and uh hopefully encourage more new patrons to show up. Yeah. Again, we really appreciate uh any new patrons that show up, and that's why we want to show as much of our undying gratitude as, as we can.
0: Yeah, with these new tier changes. You're getting even more awesome manga mavericks content at an even lower tier cost. So that's a lot to look forward to. I'm sort of looking forward to following another day on another adventure and seeing you go on the Dragon Ball anime journey.
1: Oh, yeah, that's um, that's that's going to be a wild ride. But yeah, uh, that's kind of about it for our Patreon stuff. Uh, Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, Got to keep plugging that link. Um, that's, uh, it's really the best way to support us and what we do here. And again, uh, we really, we really appreciate any patronage, uh, you're able to, uh, give us. That was the sentence I just said. Um, but, uh, I guess even before we kind of move on, actually, you know what I forgot to mention. Um, so th- w- one last thing about the Patreon, because, uh, honestly, I guess a big example of the support that you show us kind of around the time we, uh. I guess around the beginnings of the patreon when we hadn't have it we when we didn't even have it for like a year um you know around the time we were uh we were kind of getting ready for our podcast at the beginning of twenty twenty i believe um you know uh when we eventually kind of took a look at how much money we were getting from our patreon uh I used my share to specifically buy uh i want to say about six to eight volumes of Dora hidoro for this podcast in particular so you know, the, basically, you know, if you support us on Patreon, that that's the kind of stuff you're really helping us out with. Uh, I was able to buy a lot of Dora Hidoro because of this Patreon, and again, I wanna I wanna extend a special thanks to everyone who was able to make that possible. Because you know, uh, without that extra money, uh, it would have taken me a lot longer to collect Dora Hidoro. So I, you know, we were able to record this podcast because of it. So again, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I I wanted to make sure I specifically thanked uh, everyone who was able to make that possible. Uh, So there you go. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, our patrons have really helped us out, especially there was a point earlier last year where the site was in a little bit of a jam and needed some funding and we were able to use our Patreon income to pay for that. So you really have helped us out in big ways. We are really grateful to all our patrons.
1: Mm hmm yeah so we're not just using this money to you know to just buy whatever manga we need though that's obviously important too you know again we're you're, you're basically helping us keep the lights on uh that's that's kind of the most important thing like first and foremost so again, we really appreciate you guys and uh yeah. Uh, I think that's enough rambling on the, about the Patreon. But again, we, we really wanted to just emphasize like how important it is that we do have this and like how important your guys' support is to us. All right. But uh, I think even before we get onto Dora Hedoro stuff, uh, I wanted to, I, I feel like we should mention this. It's not really Dora Hedora related, but I think it is important to mention that uh, this past January 3rd, uh, One Piece passed a thousand chapters uh and that's really amazing you don't you don't see a lot of manga pass a thousand chapters uh that very rarely happens i think so uh we at least just wanted to mention that uh this is obviously very huge news uh you know congrats to one piece and congrats to eiichiro oda uh for going as long as he has uh the dude is literally a machine
0: <laughs> 23 and a half years and still going still going Glad he's slowing down a little bit, less chapters a year, taking more breaks. But yeah, just have to appreciate all the hard work over two plus decades. And this is certainly an incredible milestone for us in the English language manga fandom. This is the first manga that's been translated to have over a thousand chapters translated. So that's a huge milestone because this is, of course, 20 plus Williams behind a Conan. But yeah, this is pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Uh, we, we don't have a lot of manga in English over here that are over a thousand chapters. Mm-mm. And obviously, you know, One Piece and Shueisha are doing whatever they can to celebrate. First of which, they had another full color ad in the New York Times for January 4th, uh, which I was able to acquire. And it's super beautiful. Uh, it's basically a giant one-page ad for uh, for the new, like, worldwide character popularity poll they're doing, which is also something that everyone around the world can p- participate in, I want to say, until February 28th. Um, so, you know, by the time you're listening to this, you still have a little over a month to uh, vote for all your favorite characters. Uh, you can cast uh, one vote a day. Uh, I've definitely been trying to uh, cast a vote for all my favorite characters. Because uh, the the cool thing about this website is that, like, literally every character you could think of and more, even characters that you didn't know had names, you can vote for. And they even have characters, like, organized by story arc, which I think is kind of amazing. Uh, I'm not even, like, I'm not even, I'm barely through, like, East Blue right now. Uh, I think <laughs> I just recently voted for Buggy because, come on, he deserves a vote. Um, the Master of Failing Upwards. But, uh. Yeah, um, we'll obviously leave a link in the show notes for people who want to participate in that at uh, onepiecewt100.com. And so, yeah, that's been really fun. And uh, I just, I just want to take a second again to say how much uh, how how cool it is that uh, One Piece got another full colored ad in the New York Times. This is obviously not the first time that's happened i forget when the first one happened but uh i want to say that was when it broke um i want to say that that was when it broke like what was it like 300 million in sales or something you know you had that cool full page colored ad of uh luffy you know taking his grand steps and uh, and proclaiming hey world this is the manga not a manga the manga uh I have that somewhere around here too. I need I need to really get those framed. Um but I'm sorry, now now, now I'm just bragging about uh how uh, about how I have those and uh, how cool it is. But no, yeah, that's that's a really cool thing to have. Um I it, it's it's one of those things where it's like I am a I'm a sucker for, you know, like cool collectible things like that. Um mm-hmm. But uh yeah, it's it's just cool. I don't I don't want to I don't want to just keep bragging about how how I have it in yeah, whatever so uh but but still like you know we we at least wanted to like mention that you know one piece passed a thousand chapters because it, it did happen pretty recently uh for prosperity's sake and yeah not much else to say other than it's cool and uh I can't wait to see the results of this popularity poll um I think it's like it's probably the first like worldwide one you know that's that jump has ever had uh I would I would love to see them do this with like other really popular series. Like I, I feel like I don't know, I, I feel like it'd be kind of cool if we had like a My Hero Academia worldwide poll. I think MHA is big enough to kind of warrant that as well. Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I, I wonder if Bakugo is also the number one character outside of Japan as well. Um but uh yeah, that's about all the like one piece stuff we wanted to mention. And then uh I'm trying to think. I don't think there was was there anything else we wanted to mention before we head into Dora Hmm,
0: I think that's about it.
1: No, oh, yeah. I I think I think that might be it. Yeah. Um, again, a lot of stuff that we have to talk about at the top of the show, but yeah, now I I think it's time to visit the hole. Yep.
0: It's now time to go into the world of the sorcerers, a world of magic and mayhem and mushrooms. My oh my. And gyoza. And gyoza, can't forget about that.
1: That's, that's the most important.
0: Besides, ends ass.
1: is great at all but have you ever read Q hayashi does doro hedoro
0: <laughs> well that was your lead
1: yeah Man. And if you let me finish lum i was gonna say that uh if you haven't read Q hayashi does doro hedoro you should i just did and uh not to give too much away but uh i loved it and uh you know for for those who have been listening to the podcast it's been um It's been one of the few series that uh, I really wanted to dedicate some of my time to this year. And now I have, and now I get to talk about it with a fine panel of people, guests, whatever. And uh, yeah, so this is basically our uh, discussion, review, retrospective, whatever you want to call it. Finally read it after all these years. And uh, joining us today for this discussion... I'm sorry. I'm so thrown off because I, I feel like I I feel like my intro was very underwhelming. That's a, it, it. was a lot funnier in my head.
2: <laughs> yeah, a, a, lot, a lot of things that like you would probably say on Twitter come out very weird. Like yeah. when you actually say it out loud. So <laughs> you want to eat the series up
0: more than you want that pizza that install was created from. <laughs> I saw you tweet about that. You said you would destroy that pizza. <laughs> Firstly the most appetizing thing on that pizza to me was n's ass <laughs>
1: okay, you know what that that's that's pretty it's good. a
2: very well drawn ass it's yeah, uh, yeah, I want right. to lick those mushrooms right off of it <laughs> in in volume 20 when like n actually comes out of the body bag resurrected, you actually get a shot of like this really like square like flat looking ass I mean it's not like a an high <laughs> ass, but it doesn't have it doesn't have like anywhere the amount of cake that he that the <laughs> had, so
0: Yeah, I mean I thought it was looking pretty round in volume twelve, but I don't know, I guess being dead kinda
2: thinned it out. You could use it as like some fucking bongos or something. Like, <laughs> you know, and- we don't we don't
1: normally start off this horny on the podcast, but I, no. I think it's warranted this time no. around.
2: No, I mean you set the baseline, I just
1: jumped off it, so No, no, that's totally that's that's great. I love it. Um, We should really introduce our guests uh, because we have quite the group of like what I would like to call Dora Hadora super fans here. Uh, Starting off, uh, one of our returning guests from our previous uh, Golden Kamui podcast, uh, Miss Diana Sorelli. How's it going, Diana?
3: Hi, I'm doing pretty darn well.
1: (laughs) Considering everything, at least.
3: Yeah, I'm um, about as well as can be expected when you're recording in July 2020, shall we say?
1: That that's I mean <laughs> yeah. yeah that's good.
0: I mean at least we're not living in the hole, I guess, not being experimented on by sorcerers.
1: I don't know that might be a notch above. Uh, anyway, Ugh, um, you might be right.
3: If I were in hole, at least I could go and eat some really good gyoza for lunch.
1: Um, now that is true. I mean, if there's anything that this manga made me hungry for, it was definitely more gyoza. But uh, anyway, preach. And that voice you just <laughs> heard was our uh, good friend and contributor, Marion. How's it going, Marion? I'm good. How you been, Colton? It's been a minute. I've, I've been all right. Thank, thank you for asking. That's so nice of you. And then last but not least, uh, new to the podcast, po- possibly the person that actually kind of got me in the hidoro Miss uh, Ellie, otherwise known as uh, BlackoSmoko on Twitter. How's it going, Ellie?
2: Uh, pretty good. I'm actually very flattered to hear that Um, I was able to get you into the series.
1: Well, yeah, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to have you guys on. Definitely when we were planning to talk about the series, like, I mean, before I found out that Marion liked the series as well, I know, uh, you, Ellie, and, and, uh, Diana were definitely like the two people I thought of first, uh, when, uh, when I am so flattered. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, we're going to be talking about Dora Hedoro. And, uh, I guess before we even like, talk about anything else usually i would have lum kind of talk about what the series is about but like i want to have one of our guests try to explain to us what doro hedoro is because i feel like i feel like it's i don't know i i want to know how you guys would try to pitch doro hedoro to someone who's never heard of it before if you're for the challenge
2: uh i've done it before um i've done it for my local comics club that's at the library i work at nice <laughs> <Hi,
1: hi. laughs>
2: Yeah, and believe it or not, at least one person had actually read it before I even mentioned it, so... Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and he was one of the heads of the group that's kind of well-respected, so I th- thought like that alone should have um, really helped it. And I think that uh, once I had mentioned that that the uh, background artist for the anime also worked on Tekkon Kincrete and Akira, then that was also a very good sell,
1: too. You know what? That That makes a lot of sense considering the, the the manga itself like really did make me think about Akira a lot. But Ellie, wh- why don't you explain to our listeners who have never heard of Dorohedoro what, what it's actually about?
2: Oh, okay, sure. All right, so Dorohedoro is sort of a horror-dark fantasy manga written and drawn by Q Hayashida. Um, it takes place between mostly between two worlds. There is the Sorcerer's Realm, and then there's the Human Realm, which is just simply called The Hall. And it quite literally is a hole. So <laughs> um Just in the sense, it's very, I think you would call it direlect, very drab, urban decay, not a very nice place to live in, extremely poor, filthy. And much of what contributes to this is that sorcerers will actually open these door, literal door portals into the hall to use humans for practice for their magic. And sorcerers are quite literally biologically capable of casting spells. And each of them has an individual type of magic that they can use. And some of this magic can be very transformative. It can be painful. And in the case of our main character, who's an amnesic man named Cayman, or Cayman, however you want to pronounce that, not sure if anybody has a preference, but anyway, um, I think it's supposed
0: to be Kaiman just because of the connection to other characters with the name
2: I later in the series. Yes, yeah, that's that's technically how his name is is pronounced in Japanese. Though I would say that the, the way you would pronounce the lizard name is Kaiman, but Kaiman also mm-hmm. works. So <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, Kaiman doesn't sound as cool but okay (laughs) yeah i'm sorry this ended up being like a very rambling explanation no i think this is pretty to the point i think it explains the series very well
3: it explains more than my one sentence elevator pitch
2: yeah i was kind of trying to go off on like some of the world building a little bit but admittedly what you really need just to pitch the series to someone
0: is say on the first page a guy with a lizard head tears a person's face off or it's like chomping down on him and then later in the volume tears a person's face off
3: my one sentence pitch to people who've never heard of it normally is the strange comedic hyper violent adventures of a man with a wizard head and the wizard mafia <laughs>
2: yeah that also works that's actually way better than mine so <laughs> yeah so just to back it up it really just takes Place between two worlds. There's the sorcerer realm, and then there's the hull, which is the human realm. And in a lot of ways, the two of them aren't too different, but the sorcerer's realm is much nicer and definitely holds like a higher place of privilege for mm-hmm. sorcerers that are much more powerful and have more highly coveted magic, which is in the case the End family. And all the sorcerers on the bottom rung um, would either... Have, lead very mundane lives, not unlike like humans in the hall, or they would become cross sized if they either couldn't cast magic or they had really shitty magic. But we'll get to them later. So in terms of the whole, humans more or less try to live on some semblance of normalcy. And of course, a good many of them live with these mutilations and transfigurations from being experimented on by the sorcerers. And in the case of Kaiman... He had woken up one day having no recollection of who he actually was and no re- recollection of who transformed his head into that of a lizard. He was found by a restaurant owner and chef named Nikaido, who had actually had some part-time work in collecting bodies around the hole left by sorcerers. So that, that's pretty much where the story is meant to start off, but it starts sort of in media res when you actually pick up the volume. And you see Kaiman chomping on Matsumura's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's really the foot that it starts off on, is that Kaiman doesn't really have any idea of where he came from, who he is. He has sort of a vague idea based on a- some very disturbing nightmares that he has every night, but that's pretty much it. And him and Nikaido's sorcerer hunt is essentially him trying to figure out what the hell's going on.
1: Boy, you know, I, I I can I can tell you what, um, when I when I first started that first volume, I was just like, you know, I don't know what's going on, but this, this is still pretty cool. I was I was definitely very confused for at least like first couple of volumes, but it was still very fun.
0: Yeah, they very slowly explain more of the world, but like you are introduced to it, and you just kind of learn about it from it, seeing how the characters interact and what they talk about and how they live their lives, and it's a very interesting world that Hayashida sets up so it's fun to learn about and like kind of just seep in and
2: let the visual sink in mm-hmm. yeah you really just kind of have to roll with it a little bit it is definitely one of those comics I think that uh the comic it really kind of reminded me of a little bit when that I read when I was in college was uh Transmetropolitan by Warren <laughs> Ellis and Warren Ellis has been called out very recently for being a sex pest Mm-hmm. Yeah. which unfortunately did not surprise me that much when I considered that the main character of Transmetropolitan constantly hit on women and always turned them down as sort of a running gag. But this isn't about Transmetropolitan, but it has a similar, you know, if you ever see what, what the the world that it's set in, it's very chaotic, it's very filthy, it's very bizarre. It reminded me a lot of that when I first picked it up.
1: It's it's interesting because uh, in, in in terms of like uh, I guess other Western comics, our uh, uh, I guess other all comic contributor and past guest on the podcast uh, Nick Rowe, uh, you know I always see him talk on Twitter about how he constantly sells Dora Hidoro to people who who are uh, in particular are fans of like Saga, yeah, which is interesting.
3: One of my friends went from, from a high school, I got into it, and he later st- wrote a comic that definitely takes at least a little visual inspiration from Doro Hedoro, which is, um, Kill Six Billion Demons. Huh. Hmm. So, uh, if you're a Doro Hedoro fan looking for your next fix, I highly suggest that, not just because I know the guy who writes it. But, because it's about the only thing that has filled the lizard head shaped void in my heart,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we definitely brought up akira earlier as a comparison too, and I definitely think in terms of like the imagery of the whole and just the derelict shape it's in, how destitute the people are, and also the fact that the story is in part also a story about class and about rebellion against. You Uh, certainly get that from the cross-eyes.
2: Oh, yeah. I
0: think that's also a good point of comparison. Yeah, Mm. because
2: there is sort of this... um, You do sort of notice like a... uh, I don't want to call it like a meritocracy because it isn't necessarily about like what you do exactly that elevates you in sorcerer society. It's more of... It's essentially just the privilege of being born or the bad luck of being born with magic that's highly coveted and extremely yeah. powerful.
0: I mean, there's definitely a clear social hierarchy at like the bottom are humans who have no magic. And then there are sorcerers who are born with poor magic or little to no magic. Then there are the sorcerers with highly capable of magic. And then there are devils. And then above all the devils is Ruma, who is the head honcho of the devils, the only true, like, natural-born devil, whereas all other devils are sorcerers who take a test to turn into devils, and that's at the approval and discretion of ruma who is, like, at the top of this entire system.
2: And it's also <coughs> worth noting that devils are usually high-class sorcerers to begin with, so they would probably be the only ones that would have any access to Ruma or would even catch his eye to begin with. Yeah, they
0: have, like, an inborn privilege in that respect. And the N family and a lot of other powerful sorcerer families, they kind of, like, run the world of the sorcerer's world. And, like, you have to join or be a part of their families to really gain access to a lot of privileges. And if you're not a part of that, you're living really poorly and have a really hard life and are constantly oppressed and looked down upon. I mean, as we see with the cross eyes. For a gang that was so intimidating and violent, like they are barely scraping by when we first
1: meet them.
3: Which actually, you see some people in the hole who are living better than that. So,
1: yeah, it's pretty telling. Um, but I guess before we get too much further in our discussion, I do kind of want to talk about how everybody got started with Doro Hidoro, and um, I want to start off with our guests. Uh, actually, Marion, I want you to go first if that's okay.
4: That's fine. Um, so I've been like. Peripherally aware of Door Hador for years, like um, I've been mutuals with Ellie for a long time, and like <laughs> I know other other people who also been like keeping up with it as the the series was like going on into its conclusion and everything. Uh, I knew when it ended. Uh, I knew like spoilers here and there about stuff that happens, but I wasn't really like into the series until I would say October was when I actually started reading it. But before that, I actually. I bought, like, um, like a digital bundle of, like, the complete series after, like, Viz finished publishing the last volume. They had, like, a digital sale. So I had the whole thing, and I was just waiting for, like, the right time to binge it. I knew the anime was coming out, and once it was, like, confirmed for, like, January, I was like, all right. I decided to read it in, like, October for, like, you know, like, Halloween month or whatever. So oh, it looked, yeah. Like, the perfect time. I ended up making, like, a little thread about it, and uh, I took my time. Uh, I ended up finishing it around like December, and it was oh, it was such a good ride. Yeah, like I there was there's obviously like so many things that you could like know, uh, but like seeing the context for like all the events and how they happened, and being able to like share that with like all my friends who also like had read the series before, and me just like posing questions like, oh wow, like this the implications of this is it's like really interesting, but then does that mean like this could happen or this or whatever? And like, even just um, like me trying to piece together parts of the mystery as like it unfolds with like Kaiman's identity, and uh like his past and how it like connects to several of the other characters. That was like super fun. It was just like, it was like a very unique experience. And I was really happy to be able to like, have that like online and like, just have like people around me like, basking in the glory of dora like <laughs> so it, it's, it's it was extremely entertaining and like i think i was if i had been like um like a little more like antsy to like jump on it and read it like back when it was still being serialized i I'd, i i probably could have dealt with it but like like now that i'm older i'm just like no i can't wait this is too much i would rather just wait for the whole thing to finish
0: Yeah, I personally, I'm so glad that I waited until it was over to read it all because just a year long wait between volumes to say nothing of trying to keep up with it chapter by chapter, especially during the last four to the series in the central (laughs) department store. That would have been agonizing. I I wouldn't have been able to do
1: it. Yeah,
4: (laughs) that final arc was like, it was like immaculately done. But like, I know the fact that like, because there were so many, there was so much time in between chapters that like you obviously had to like plan everything. Uh, there were all these moving pieces and to be able to, like, set the board and, like, move them along to be able to, like, usher in and, like, uh, coordinate certain events and making sure that, like, it just, like, lines up perfectly. Like, that must have been hell to, like, just execute. And, yeah. like, that, that last volume, I read the whole thing in, like, 20, 30 minutes. But then, like, I had to read it again, like, immediately after just to, like, let it sink
2: in. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's it's a hefty, hefty volume. Yeah,
0: it's twice as long as one of the earlier volumes of the series. Because the series averaged 170 volumes in its earliest volumes, and this last volume is 350 pages. It could have easily been split as two different volumes. And I think the reason why these last ones are so chunky is that... Apparently, Hayashida was going to end the series somewhere around volume 19, but then she reread the series and then realized she needed to give this like the ending it deserves and wrap up everything really well and she needed more pages to do that and so that's why it kept going and why the remaining volumes are all a lot bigger like 19 through 22 are like 270 and then 23 before is 350 yeah,
2: yeah. i wish i could find yeah. it but i remember um this was a while ago but i remember q hayashida had put in like an author's comment in like hibana probably Where she was like, oh yeah, I was going to end this on the 18th or 19th volume, but I had even more ideas. And that was just like a shame smile in parentheses. (laughs) 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 It was something like that.
5: Um, I wish I could find it.
0: There's a similar thing at the
2: back of volume
0: 23 in terms of like an author's note.
2: Yeah, you'll find um, that there and she basically just explains like why it took so long.
1: <laughs> man, yeah, <laughs> just 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 to mention volume 23 real quickly. Yeah, even cuz I I read a little slower and e- even at my reading speed, like my personal reading speed, I still read I still read that last volume in in like an hour. Like uh a- as we got closer and closer to the podcast, it really became crunch time for me as far as like, man, I really got to finish this <laughs> thing soon. And I kept seeing like how much longer the last few volumes were and i'm like oh man am i gonna make it um (laughs) i read Fine 23 just last night like right right after a pretty long shift at work um so i I honestly i thought i was gonna be up until like one or two in the morning like reading this because of how slow i read and because i really like i also really like to take in the art and everything but uh yeah i was surprised at how fast i got through it but uh yeah i guess just to move on uh uh, Diana, I'm really, I'm really curious about you in particular because I, I know this is like, y- you mentioned to me that this is like your fandom.
3: Yeah, I really f- hope no people judge me too much for admitting this, but the thing that originally got me into it was seeing some of the art posted on a certain image board that shall remain unnamed. <laughs> 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 but I saw one page of it, and I was like, oh my god, I need to read this. This is amazing. And right around then was also when Viz launched that Viz Sig Icky website, which I really, really wish that hadn't had to go under. That was incredible. That was an experimental website they had where they were posting Manga chapters from Iki magazine, one per month for free. And then, like, after that month was over, the next one would go up and that one would go down and, and whatnot, just like as a kind of service. Oh, wow. Like an early experimental version, I think, of what later became the, uh, Jump app. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Now was I remember back in it. The, uh, 2000s, actually. It was way ahead of its time. And I started with that. And then, well, I just was a giant fan ever since. Like, I have some very old photos of me in 2009 dressed as Shin, covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably
2: the oldest the oldest, or longest fan here. What's the right word? Most veteran fan? Senior? Yeah. Super fan?
3: <laughs> no, I've just been in this hell for the longest time, probably.
2: <laughs> in this hole?
3: Yeah, um, (laughs) that's actually – and like I mentioned, I got my friends into it because that's just kind of how I operate. I read something that, like, not all that many people are giant fans of, and then I proceed to annoy everybody that I know by shoving it into their face every day for years. Like, read this, read this, read this, read this.
4: I mean, it it works.
3: Yeah, it it does kind of work, but yeah, it's just – it was one of those things that I – I maybe got like one chapter in before I knew. Oh, this is my series. I am going to love this forever.
1: Now, <laughs> now, I th- this this might be a difficult question, but where where would you rank this among? Because I, I, I know you're a fan of other stuff like, you know, JoJo, Golden Kamui, Legend of the Galactic Heroes. I know are like your your like favorite things, for lack of a better word. So,
3: I I would put Dorohedoro in like my top five fandoms or so. It's definitely would make, if I did a 9 by 9 grid of those, like, your favorite anime and manga ever, it would be up there. Mm. I've reread it several times. In fact, I've reread it yesterday, all 23 volumes. Someone help me, dear God. In one day? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm,
0: That's I'm sorry. No,
1: that, I'm, I'm not laughing at you, Diana, but uh, it's just, I, I didn't think there was anyone else other than Lum who could just... Read all an entire series in one sitting like that, honestly.
3: <laughs> I've read the entire Lord of the Rings in a single day before. That's the secret to why I'm in so many manga fandoms. <laughs> I read really fast. Oh,
0: yeah. Dora, Dora is nothing compared to reading all of Lord of the Rings in one day.
2: Wow. Oof.
1: I wish I could read that fast. Man, look, it's 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 an achievement for me if I could read two whole volumes of something in, in one day, honestly. Like, I, I have such a hard time reading too much of one thing in one sitting
2: yeah i'm not particularly good at that either i'm one of those um i think my dad once called that like sort of like the wine taster type reader where they gotta like slosh it around in their mouth slosh it around (laughs) in the the cup and like really take in what's being like what's on the page
1: honestly yeah
2: that's kind of why my dad and i take so damn long to read anything
4: (laughs) (laughs) i
1: love that description that's yeah
2: because it's just like What I would do is, like, if I found, like, a couple pages where I, like, really liked a scene or something, I would, like, read it a couple times more to, like, really take it in before I get bored of it, and then, like, keep going on, and that's, that's, that's really, I like to absorb what I'm reading.
1: Oh, hey, same, same here, Mm. seriously.
2: (laughs) And I mean, it's
3: Q Hayashida's artwork, it's like somebody was challenging her to see how many details can you put into a single panel. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah,
2: yeah. She does remind me a little bit of like Hiro Oda when it comes to like just adding these really tiny details. Though I mean, he goes like really nuts with it, but like she would really etch out like all of these, all the texture, all the grime, like pretty much everything, every building, object, etc. In Doro Hidoro looks like it's just being held together with like. Saliva and (laughs) tape and chewing gum and stuff like it's like everything just like looks like it's getting ready to fall apart. Mm -hmm. I will say
3: (laughs) it made a lot of sense when I found out that she had been an assistant for Blame. Mm, Interesting. Oh
2: yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read Blame, but I when I saw the art, it was like, yeah, that makes a great deal of sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So tell me, Nihay, like
0: I when I pictured that style, I feel like the use of like blank space really pops out to me, but his environments are also incredibly detailed as well. So yeah, I can totally see the influence in Hayashida's work too. But yeah the lived-in environment of Dora Hidoro is just so rich. Oh, yeah! Like, I think that is like one of the big draws in manga is that the world that Hayashita has created is just so detailed. It has just so many nuances and things to like look at and tr- pick apart in terms of the detail and that she has put in there into like every frame of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's definitely um, what it has in common with uh, Katsuhiro Otomo's original Akira manga. Like, if you've, um, if you ever look at it, it's almost completely indistinguishable from Hidoro, aside from, like, Q like, very obvious style differences, because mm. so much of Neo-Tokyo just looks almost exactly like the whole...
1: Oh, yeah. You know, oh just, yeah.
2: Just all the graffiti, all the grime, filth, like, you name it. And even some of the character designs, like, especially for Fujita and some of the cross-eyes they look a lot like katsuhiro tomo's characters like it's very it's a very noticeable influence on q's work
3: there's definitely some similar face shape action going on there
0: <laughs> totally I, I can see it in the eyes too for sure
1: mm-hmm. um but yeah ellie i guess while you have the floor uh i, I want to know how you got into door Hidoro.
2: oh yeah sure um so uh, it was a few years before I started reading it that I first saw Doro Hidoro. It was actually on Tumblr. Um I follow a lot of friends that mainly read manga before anime. Um and I think that uh I think Viki was actually posting or retweeting some of it onto her blog. And oh, no. yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's actually been into Doro Hidoro like way longer than I have. Um and I remember okay. seeing it and I think it was I can remember exactly the two panels or pages that I first saw. And one of them, I think, and I'm not sure if this came from Beaky or not, it may have been from one of my other mutuals or friends. And, um, it was, I think the prison cell that they held Kaskabe Johnson, vo and 13 in, in volume six. And the mm-hmm. floor is just like really disgusting and bloody and filthy. And it came from a manga. And I was like, I was and I was really trying to associate that. I was like, wow, this is like really gross looking, but it's from a manga. And then I think a couple <laughs> of the others, is, <laughs> a couple of the others were um, that skin that Kai created that was like,
3: oh, it looked God. like something uh, out of Hannibal where it was
2: just hooked up to all these IVs. That was like another one. Yeah. And I was just like, man, what the fuck am I looking at? <laughs> um, And I think a few others I saw were just of, I think, Kawajiri or Asu and Nikaido. Like, they were, like, just these very cute-looking character designs. And I'm like, is this from the same manga? Like, this is, like... I just see, like, something really gross one minute and something cute the next. Like, what is this?
3: I think you just described one of the biggest appeals of Doro Hidoro in a single sentence. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I think it was in, like,
2: 2014 or 2015 when this happened. Um, and because this is just something that you would see on Tumblr if you were, if you reblogged or, I, I said retweeted <laughs> a little while <laughs> back, but um, if you saw, like, a lot of uh manga caps and like screen caps of like of things you would just sort of see these sort of aesthetically beautiful or weird mangas that would just kind of just speed across your dash every now yeah. and again and that's kind of what happened and i remember i just like looked it up and I, th- I thought the premise was so incomprehensible and strange and i was like what the hell but i was very drawn to it like like i couldn't stop looking through things and I kind of just forgot about it for a few years after I just put a bunch of the volumes on my in stock trades wish list. I just kind of forgot about it. And I guess I just wanted something new to read maybe two years later, late 2016. And I was scrolling down my in stock trades wish list. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should read Doro And I actually bought, I think, like the first three Kindle volumes of it. And I I sped through it and I think about a couple hours, which is very fast for me 1st <laughs> <For> three <laughs> volumes. That's, that's actually really fast. Um, and I really didn't, again, as I know Lum said, like didn't really know what was going on, but I liked it. And I was like, really just kind of fascinated. Cause I had never read anything like it before. I mean, there were things in it that reminded me of, you know, transmetropolitan Akira and everything, but it had an entirely different vibe and I was really just couldn't believe that a human drew it. Like, it, was, <laughs> it really felt like I was looking in on an entirely different universe. And that's really like the best kind of comics to me are the ones where you really feel like you're on the outside looking into yeah. a world that feels real. And that's really what got me into Dorohedoro. Now I was sort of, it was one of those, like, this is so weird, but I can't stop reading it sort of things for the first two volumes. But it really hit its stride in volume three once they actually went into the sorcerer realm. And it became like a real thing outside of the N family mansion. And, yeah, that was um that's pretty much how I got started. And I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And reading it. <laughs> it just kept going and going. Um, I had tried going on to the scans for a little while, but I don't know. It just didn't vibe with me. That sort of that mid-2000s scanlation translation just didn't Oof. hit for me the yeah. way a lot, of, a lot, of, a I lot was, of people...
3: Yes, and uh, the only thing I will say about those is that I wish Viz had been able to print the color pages. So I was going and looking at just the color pages last night, and I found this that one of the chapters had this hilarious warning this chapter contains blood and gore and other uh, and nudity and other awesome things. Don't read with your mom in the room. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is this is a time capsule. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh boy,
2: yeah. you know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you've ever um, picked up the uh, the original volumes of Berserk, and how like if you looked on the back uh, of the back description, and I love just shout out to whatever guy would like write the back descriptions for the berserk volumes because he would say that that sort of thing where it was like you know just sort of this snappy sort of like you know this is a really edgy comic sort of thing
3: i'm a giant berserk fan and now i'm like i need to record but also i see berserk volume three within reaching distance i need to go check (laughs) yeah he
2: he found some like i guess i should say they because i really don't know like if it was a guy who wrote it. But um, <laughs> but anyway, they, they basically describe it sort of the way you would try to sell a very gory comic to like Western comics fans a little bit. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. And you kind of have that also in Black Lagoons rating, like the content rating on the inside of the book. And it was just like, you know, contains blood, gore, violence, nudity, Cigarettes, ass kicking, running with scissors, and everything your mother warned you about, or something like that. It was. I, I just, for some reason, I kind of love that. It's like really pulpy.
3: Yeah, like there was definitely that period in the late two thousands and early twenty tens where, oh my god, look, this is edgy. There is blood everywhere. Was a huge selling point for some reason.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: that's. I mean, I say this as someone who's favorite comics are mostly all very violent but
1: look i mean i I was gonna say like like if you if you sold these comics to me as a as a 13 14 year old like i'd buy them like you know (laughs) this this, this is the kind of thing that totally would have worked on me at that age
2: oh yeah i
0: think i think chris warner was the editor of berserk so i think we credit them for probably the back copy of those volumes
2: oh okay yeah that totally makes sense I think that the uh, when my college had its near yearly um, anime convention, I think the translator for like I think the early Berserk volumes was like one of the guests, and he w- had only taken Japanese for like several years or so. But he would kind of he gave a couple of tips, and some of them were like you know be prepared to kind of look up very obscure references to things that like <laughs> the manga artist really liked because he would just talk about like a couple of things that like would become side gags for puck mm-hmm. and it just like sometimes it would just be like some like famicom game from like the 80s or the 90s that, were, like, <laughs> that miura obviously really liked and he would just put that as a joke and he, he had no idea what it was referring to originally <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully i didn't quite have that with q I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of obscure things that, like, we referenced in Doro Hidoro that, like, totally flew over my head. Because um, there is there is a translated interview floating around from like the mid 2000s that she gave, and she had referenced like a bunch of, uh, I think, like sort of these gag manga that have never been translated into English that she liked to read, and I think that was sort of the draw for some of the comic relief in Doro Hidoro.
1: I could see that.
3: Yeah, it really does have a lot of comedy for something that, on the surface, just looks like a blood and guts fest.
1: Yeah, it's like, and I, I guess I can just kind of get into how how I got into Hedoro because part of the reason I was you know so interested in it, you know, from from seeing um, after following Ellie through, I, I think, I think, I think we followed each other through Biki actually, and uh, after seeing Ellie post about it. And seeing, you know, whoever else talk about it, I was just like, oh, this is, this gory comic is, like, weirdly wholesome sometimes. Yes. And <laughs> I think that that was definitely a, a huge point of interest for me, in particular. And, uh, I don't know, I, you know, I, I I'm very conflicted because, like, I'm kind of kicking myself for not getting into it sooner, but like I said earlier, I... I don't. I don't think I would have been able to read this monthly, especially not during that final arc. Like I'm, I'm really glad. I, like Lum said, I'm glad I had the opportunity to kind of read most of it in a in a short time span, uh, especially that final arc.
3: Yeah, I'd had to be following something between monthly or volume to volume because after a while, I realized I wasn't really enjoying the scan, so I was just following Fizz. But let's just say that following it as it came out from, like, 2008 has been, uh, I do not recommend.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was, uh, I think I caught up in, like, late 2016, and that was around the time when it wasn't exactly when the magazine jump was starting just yet, but it was around, it was towards that point where it was the final fight, and -hmm. then it jumped on to the final, final fight. And, oh, man... (laughs) Just trying to um, read that month by month was hard, and I don't know how anyone did it for any longer, so...
3: <laughs> Apparently, I enjoy pain.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, you also I, like I, Berserk, I, too, so I think all of us like pain if you're into Berserk. Oh, uh, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um,
1: I, I do I do want to put out there that, like, you know, in, in the time it took me to get to Hidoro, I, at least on my timeline, like, I've never, like, I've... But part of the reason I wanted to get into it too was because, like, I had seen so much fan art of it. Like, it was kind of, it was kind of insane, you know, pr- probably from all the mutual, uh, all the people I follow who also like it. You know, I just, you know, cause I, I think Ellie was the first person I saw a post about it. And then I know, uh, I know, uh, past guest Casey or Manofsky article, you know, also got into the series as well. I, I would see him tweet about it a lot as well. And just you know, Diana, I, I think I think I can one up you on uh, on like as as far as reasons to get into Dora Hidoro because you know obviously when, and I'm sure we've had all, all had this experience like you know when, when when we all see people post about Dora Hidoro, fifty percent of those posts are going to be I want Noi to step on me uh
3: <laughs> i mean that's probably the most valid reason
1: yeah <laughs> um and i i would be i would be lying if i said that uh like 25% of the reason i got the dora hedora was because there was one time i i found uh i found a noi doujinshi and i was like i might have to get into this at some point
5: i <laughs> oh, <laughs> mean she's perfect yeah
1: I mean, like, the the like the level of thirst I, I see for that character in particular, like, I feel like transcends the Dorohedoro fandom, almost. It's it's honestly quite amazing.
0: Yeah, it's nice to see cool, buff, strong women just kick ass in the series. Like, with, who are really tall, really beefy. Mm-hmm. Meatheads. Like, it's awesome.
3: Yeah, Kyuhei Ashida very clearly wants to draw giant beefcakes with big pecs or big titties just existing, and you know what? I salute her for it. Yeah.
1: She's not that much different from Satoru Noda, honestly.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Just attention turned towards, uh, I guess, the different sex there.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that was was definitely another big reason, because I, I was just always so fascinated you know seeing all this like love and attention toward that character in particular but uh yeah no again like w- w- when i got into it again it was it was definitely quite the experience but like i'm i'm super glad i read it because like it's just it's just so good from beginning to end like i i don't, I don't know about you guys but like i have very little criticism about Dora Hidoro.
0: yeah i think it's pretty perfect
1: um, there, there, there might be one thing I kind of want to ask you guys about later on, but uh, I want to, I want to get to Lum here. Lum, I, I guess how, how long have you been aware of Dora Hedoro, just in particular?
0: For a long time. I mean, it's definitely one of those mangas whose reputation has, you know, always been aware in like big manga discussion circles. I've known a lot of friends who've been into it. I've seen, of course, Black Is Diana, Casey talk about it. I know Marion's when started tweeting about it last year and then talked about it on the Good Friends cast, and you kind of bear the lead here, but I'm also really enjoying uh, your New Door Hedora podcast, variant. Shocking. Like, it's been great so far. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, you know, I've, I've known about it for a long, long time, but. Of course, I only started reading it this year in preparation for us doing the podcast just because I had never gotten around to it. I started it in January, actually, because I was trying to read a book every day. And I got through the first two thirds pretty quickly because once I started reading, I just wanted to keep reading because I was hooked immediately and I just had to read the rest of the story. Uh But I did end up breaking around volume 16. And so... I had not read those final seven volumes until literally the last two days when I realized, oh, I gotta reread the series from the beginning <laughs> so I could be prepared for this podcast because otherwise the early stuff won't be fresh in my mind. So I did that. Then I finally got to those last couple volumes the last two days. And on yesterday I read like the last six volumes, the entire department store article all in one sitting. <laughs> yeah,
1: th- there there was a point in my reading where like, you know, I, I realized, like, I should probably take notes about, like, some some of the at least minor plot points. Because there, there was a point where, like, you know, I would read and, like, you know, I would get to a certain volume and be, like, um and, like, I would have trouble, like, remembering certain plot points that I figured were probably going to be important later. So, like, I actually kind of had to take notes to kind of keep up at one point. So uh, th- that might be just a me thing. I had a, I had a little bit of a difficult time keeping up with the story at one point, but I, that didn't really last too long. Like I think uh, like the department store arc, I think that was around the point where I was like, okay, clearly things are gonna come to a head. i'm I'm having an easier time kind of keeping up with everything at that point
0: yeah what's nice about Dora Dora is that the entire mystery and all the plot treads they all call us together and everyone congregates in the department store so everything gets paid off all at once
3: one of the things that as a longtime fan i've had to um deal with the most is people who think oh there's no plot with this chapter and oh, later boy. i'm just like no 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 no. i've read further than you this is totally plot it's just disguised as filler early on do not overlook anything
0: oh yeah everything is relevant especially the extra evils they give insight into the lore and lives of the s- of the characters uh, and they re-emphasize the themes as well in subtle ways which i really appreciated
2: yeah it oh, does man. give you some padding a little bit but it's also the first time you see the store knife which is in volume 13, where (laughs) Chitaruma lets Haru (laughs) borrow it, and then she brings it back out four volumes later.
0: Yeah, the store knife is one of the most essential tools.
3: I will say, yesterday the thing I was laughing the hardest at was that one extra page where they're giving like the statistics and star rating of the store knife. (laughs) 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 I was just... I was just falling over in tears laughing.
2: Yeah, I love those fake <laughs> ads that she makes for um their weapons and stuff because they also had that for um the gyoza wand for Kaiman.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listing all the attacks rating them.
2: That was yeah. really or, really or even just yeah, kind of yeah. doing like a cutaway thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of attention placed on like every artifact, every character, like all everything about them. She is really thought out and everything is used
1: that is set up the the extra evils i like admittedly when when, whenever we usually go through longer series for the podcast and i'm kind of in a rush to like you know try to read everything and prep for a podcast like i i typically skip a lot of like the bonus content just because i'll I'll get to it later i kind of want to get to the main stuff but like I'm I'm really glad I, I I didn't skip any of the extra evils, thankfully, because I started to realize like, oh well, you know they're they, they are kind of important, kind of important in their own way. I mean, just in general, like I I think one of the few uh, like one one of the things I kind of felt about Doro Hidoro at one point was I, I had this weird thing where like I, I as I went through it, I was like, man, I'm really enjoying this. But I also wish we had some. I wish we had more like cooldown time in between events, like because it, it really there's a certain point where the story just kind of keeps going and going and going and just never stops until things come to a head. And I'm and I think the extra evils are good for people who who want more like one-off things because the, I, you know, before I got to the end of the series, you know that that was the one thing I was you know kind of hoping for more was oh man i i kind of wa- i kind of want to spend more time with the characters i don't like n- not that i don't like the plot but i was like man i i just really want to spend more time with the characters like i'm i'm good with whatever plot you give me i just i just want more wacky adventures with with that be and Fujito or whatever or shin and noi or because there are so many like good characters and good pairs of characters that i want to spend time with and like Again, I think the Extra Evils, if you want just, like, more one-off stuff, uh, then definitely don't skip those. Those are, those are always fun.
2: Oh, yeah. And that's the thing I really liked about the Extra Evils, is that it gives you some time to breathe, because it's a lot of plot being thrown at you Yeah, in every single volume. And just being able to really get to know the characters, get to know sort of, like, the, the little silly things about the worlds that they live in, or even just, like, their relationships and everything— like, I think the one that always, like, touched me was, like, Volume 3, because, um, Volume 3 is extra evil, because that really, that really did kind of, like, let you know that, like, even though Sue's kind of a goofball, who's obsessed with getting big boobs, is obviously, like, pretty damaged and stunted in a lot of different ways, I and mean, she doesn't really get to express that. The only one that really kind of made her feel at home was Fujita, and that's something that I really appreciated, was, like, added towards the very end of that volume.
0: Yeah, it's a sweet relationship. She teases and insults him a lot, but
2: she really does care a lot about him. Yeah, they're kind of like siblings. They drive each other nuts, but they love each other. I just
3: have to say, one of my favorite things about the series, like the entire series, is just how much it focuses on friendships and positive relationships and found family. Like, Ebisu could have been just a joke character, but there's like That one time when Fujita's crying and she reaches out and was like, can I give you a hug? And I was just like, oh, oh my god, I feel this in my heart. (laughs) And like, just Shin and Noe. Well, if you've seen my Twitter, you know how I feel about Shin and Noe.
0: They are a perfect pair. I mean, the Shin-Noe dynamic and the Kaiman-Nakaido dynamic are so, so good. They're such great friendships.
2: Yeah, that one scene that Diana was talking about, like, I felt like literal fuzz in my chest (laughs) because that was just because it really is something that like used to bother me when i was like reading it was that like no one seemed to really care about like how fujito was feeling and even when he was like mourning his partner it didn't really seem like anyone really gave a shit and i mean including ebisu she made fun of him constantly for it but on some level she's she's still very empathetic and vice versa they do sort of understand each other on some level where they don't really fit in with anybody and they do have like a lot of the same insecurities about their magic or their body and it really was pretty uh heartwarming to just see that the two of them still have that connection with each other even though they constantly pester one another over their shortcomings and i, I think it's very much like a purely a sibling relationship in that sense
1: uh ebisu really reminded me of um and i mean i'm 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 not necessarily saying they're like the same character but ebisu gave off a lot of like edward from cowboy bebop vibes to me Mm.
0: yeah and how loopy she is yeah
1: yeah i I don't know every every time i saw ebisu on screen i just thought man she would she would make a perfect she would make a good like edward replacement
0: she says a lot of crazy spontaneous things but you can tell that she does still think deeply about things and is very thoughtful still.
1: And she makes a great mascot.
0: Yeah, the shark costume, the baseball game.
1: Uh, those those might be the three best panels in all of manga. Quite honestly.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, so cute. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no. I, I mean, uh, I was I was saying this earlier, but yeah, I'm I'm just I'm really surprised at how I mean I like I kind of. I kind of knew about it going in, but like, just like Diana said, like it is really surprising that a series this full of like violence and nudity and and all the stuff that you know twelve year olds like or whatever um, is just is is filled with so many like positive aspects as well, which is really refreshing.
0: It is really about communities trying to uplift each other, and I think that. The French of the series stand in sharp contrast to, like, the theme of the series. Like, there's a lot of violence and bloodshed and that, and that's kind of the point. Like, the series is kind of ostensibly an anti-hate manga. Cause, I mean, the ultimate villain of the series is, like, a pure embodiment of all the hate, resentment, and malice. Of humans who have been murdered by the sorcerers. And they are literally spewing hate from their mouths. Poisoning sorcerers in the world. With poison toxic rain. And the main antagonist is like going about hunting down sorcerers. Just purely blindly wanting to kill them. And I think like the idea behind it is that. Like in this world that is full of debt and hardships. It's like the people that who stick by you, who stand up for you, who are your community, your family. Like those are the relationships you value and those are what you like protect and you're fighting for. And ultimately the series is about letting go of like hatred towards other groups and other communities and just, you know, learning to live together harmoniously
4: Mm -hmm. i think that's a perfect way to put it especially with the context of like how we start is like um you know like kaiman wants to find out like oh who put him in this situation why is he like this um why is he why does he have this condition or whatever and like this whole time he thinks that he's just like a normal human who's just like just got caught up in an accident or whatever but then both like he and nikaido are sorcerers later on uh like when as we find out and That doesn't, like, erase their experiences together. Um, He still thinks they're friends, like, and being able to, like, make these connections and, like, treasure them is part of why these people can, like, survive in such a harsh environment.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter what you are or which clique you belong to. Like, everyone is a person worthy of respect, empathy, and you can be friends with them. And they're really, the differences between people are not extreme, and, and you can't just discriminate and mistreat people because they are different. Like, I think kind of one of the ultimate really reveals in like the final battle is that when they cut open Hole's head and they see that it also has a devil humor. It was going around killing sorcerers, but it was using the same magic and mechanism to oppress and kill people as humans were by the sorcerers themselves. So, like, the part of the series is breaking free of cycles of, you know, violence and hatred and revenge. I mean, the conflict starts at the beginning of the series because Haman is murdering sorcerers in pursuit of figuring out who he is and also getting revenge on sorcerers for what they're doing in the whole and what they did to him. And then as a consequence of killing Matsumura, that gets the N family involved in seeking out... Uh, retribution on him and then as we go further and further we see that there are tons of different cycles of people wanting to get revenge on one another wanting to destroy and attack other groups and it ultimately comes to the conclusion of like everyone agreeing agreeing just to stand down and realizing that you know targeting each other and trying to destroy each other is not the way towards, like, kind of the peace and happiness that they really want. And it is, like, a misdirected hatred and anger that is being thrown at other people who are not at the root of, like, what the problem is.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, in in retrospect, this was probably, uh, you know, unrealistic of me to think, but, uh, you know, a, a, a part of me was kind of hoping that, like, you know, but by the end of the series, you know the uh, all the factions would kind of like get together and just kind of be friends. But at the same time, I think, I think, I think it's it is more realistic that like they realize, oh, like you know, the uh, all of our anger is misplaced. Well, let's just let's just you know let's all step down and just you know take a break or whatever. Like that's that's yeah. honestly more realistic.
0: I mean, they leave on good terms. Yeah, like- that's true. Every everyone's at peace. There's no animosity between them. And very tellingly though, in order to keep the peace though that like Show is erasing ends memories of wanting to partner with a Kaido so that they don't get into another conflict. So it's not like a per like the series doesn't mean clear, like it's not a perfect clean thing because like the cycles of hate and then ambition leading to violence and deaths could happen again if unchecked, but like people are trying mm-hmm. this time. And they are considerate and more respectful of each other now.
3: I personally feel like it's just an ending that's really about, Hey, we need to stop the cycles of hatred and that it's going to take work, but we'll all be better off for it. I think that actually means a lot more, especially in conjunction with the themes of the series. Like it would, it's this kind of series is about. From the beginning, it's about friendship and caring, struggling in the face of all sorts of oppression. And I think that an ending that didn't acknowledge that ending oppression takes work would have felt really hollow to me.
0: Definitely. And yeah, I mean, I think it's telling that the antagonist of the series, ostensibly, Chitaruma, is someone who doesn't value any relationships and sees utter people or creatures just as tools for his own amusement using them until he has his fill, and then abandoning them without any disregard or concern
2: yeah the thing that just, was just actually callously. especially interesting with cheetah too was that um there is a scene i think towards like the very end where him and kaiman like just like travel all the way back in time to sh- see like how humans were constantly tormented by sorcerers from like almost the very beginning of their existence there's like a scene where they're kind of like laying on like the pile of bones, and Chitaruma says something on the lines of like I don't really understand what what your goal is. You want to save a sorcerer woman, but you're a human. I don't get it. I mean, I could give you an entirely new life, and you can totally forget about this. And then on the, uh, towards the end, he's like, I guess I really don't understand it. I'm just really lonely, and I don't know why. And it, it almost like it almost seems like. He almost seemed a little sad.
0: Yeah. He was so excited for Hole because he wanted a new playmate, basically. He just wanted... He is trying to find, like, connections, but he's just such a selfish creature that he can't truly understand what it means to do something for somebody else just purely selflessly, not for his own sake or his own satisfaction.
2: Yeah, I think on some level he's aware of that, Um, that he's alone. Mm -hmm. And that, like, even though technically he creates other devils, he created the sorcerers, but then he also made them devils, they can't exactly relate to him on his level. They may have similar abilities and all, but he really is the sole natural-born devil. And I think on some level, Hull is also organically created, like Hull, Hulkun, Coon, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) And that's probably, that was sort of his hope to finally have a creature that was like, on his level just sort of naturally created what seems like from nothing whoever was before we don't know there isn't i mean the closest i would say to an angel that's kind of similar to chetaruma a little bit would be store
0: yeah store's origins is also interesting we don't really quite know but in terms of hierarchy like the store is subservient to chetaruma but it holds a place of power be- above other devils because it is the, like, weapon that basically can cleave off their devil flesh and reduce them back to sorcerers and then carve up the meat to feed to other potential sorcerers. Right,
2: yeah, and it does sort of seem like that's kind of the problem that Chitaruma, like, keeps hitting is that, like, he'll find store and he'll find Holy, but the problem is, is that, like, they're very narrowly focused on what they were basically made to do and for store it's to cut up devil meat and for holy it's to basically kill sorcerers and essentially eliminate them Mm -hmm. their existence and I think with uh, Chitaruma a lot of his existence is really just kind of play around sort of for shits and giggles he's sort of like a uh, a Greek or Roman deity like they're very powerful but they're also very bored and don't really know what to do with their abilities and you do Mm -hmm. kind of see that a little bit just as a whole for the devils. And I guess they're sort of based off of a uh, Tengu in Japanese mm. mythology, where a lot of their whole, whole deal is basically playing pranks on humans and being very arrogant and just, you know, being ultra powerful. And it really yeah. kind of made sense looking up Tengu and kind of comparing them to Dorohedoro's devils. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're a lot less like a lot of the demons that you find in like, jewish and christian demonology and they're a bit more like you know like tengu they're really just meant to have fun and mess around and torment humans and take up bizarre hobbies
4: yeah they're like supernatural and powerful but not particularly like out of the way malicious it just ends up being like their actions like have these consequences and it's just them just you know just passing the time
0: Yeah, they're not malicious and silly, but they are uncaring. They don't really care about other people or things besides themselves. Like... So uh, devils are like just pure beings of ego that live for their own amusement and do all these crazy things. And Cheetah as the original devil, is like the ultimate example of that. He's a trickster god who's dealing with the ennui and boredom of being immortal and looking for something to liven up his life. And that's by creating other creatures, searching for other creatures like him that will fill his boredom. But he's never going to find it, probably because he sees himself as above everyone else. So he isn't able to forge genuine relationships on their level because he has created this hierarchy in which other people fear him and are subservient to him and their power is all dependent on his
2: approval. Yeah. And I think that's, um, the way it ended where they, um, where he lost the bet between him and the devils and they had turned him into a human baby for, I think, what was it? Five thousand years? Something like that. <laughs> and I was almost thinking, like, you know what, that actually I mean, not only would it be humbling, not that he would remember any of it, but I was just thinking of that little ghost holy that kind of peeked out of his
0: Yeah, oh,
1: man. Yeah, as soon as that's, I That's yeah. that's
0: a really interesting, like, ambiguous ending of like can Chitaruma, like, get a new start in life, like, as a human being, like, grow up to be a different person? Or will he just become the same kind of person that he was as a devil? Especially after encountering, like, the remnant of Holy, who is still spouting his desire to kill sorcerers and stuff. So it's like... The remnants, the vestiges of like the hatred and malice in the world are still not dead. And even though there's this start, there's like there's chance to start over again, there's still this uncertainty of whether things will be able
2: to fully,
0: you know, change or if it will fall back in the same trap.
2: Yeah, I think also um, the thing that was also very interesting that was introduced with Holy at the very end was that um, humans are very unusually drawn to Holy. Like, they didn't feel threatened by him or anything, even while he was destroying the whole... They kind of just sort of looked on were like, I don't know who this is, but I trust him, sort of.
0: It was interesting. It was like Holy was a god to humans, because like your immediate reaction was to bow to Holy when he appeared. And then... Holy was, of course, only targeting sorcerers. And then at the end of, like, the whole fight, we see in the six months later epilogue that people have started, like, a religion worshipping Holy and making statues out of, like, his bones.
2: Yeah, I actually did really, um, I appreciated the, uh, the use of the relics there. Because, like, if you were ever, um, if you are ever raised in sort of, like, a Catholic tradition, the, um, the idea of just sort of using bones and putting them in, like, statues and things like that. I think there is sort of a tradition in Buddhism, too, where, like, having, like, a relic, which I think they actually said that, like, they used pieces of bone inside each of the holy statue that came from, like, the bottom of the lake, and how it was, me- it was me- meant to ward off sorcerers, if you had it in your home. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, they have this in, uh... Mexican culture they have uh, this folk saint called Santa Muerte oh uh, yeah, yeah they have something similar to that where um she's meant to ward off death and there's also there's a lot of controversy around um, Santa Muerte, but she's sort of seen as like a guardian um, and a protector to the poor to the LGBTq community and that's kind of what the holy statues sort of reminded me of a little bit
1: interesting.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. like something that the marginalized can basically look up to for some kind of salvation. Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's totally an accident either, because um, I think Santa Muerte is actually on Ebisu's sorcerer door. <laughs> like if if you oh. see, yeah, the um, the skeleton with the scales. That's a very common portrayal of Santa Muerte. Hmm.
3: Makes me wonder if Hayashida has ever done any research into anything Mexican, especially considering that Shin's door is written in Spanish.
2: Yeah, El Corazon. Yeah,
3: yeah. because
2: yeah. yeah, the um, I have a couple of the magazines that she's done interviews for. Um, and I haven't translated them, or at least I partially translated one of them. But my Japanese has been pretty rusty. But anyway, I noticed that she had a book in there that was like an art book for Day of the Dead, and I guess it was pictures of like shrines and um, like ofrendas, um, some of the graves that were decorated during the uh, Día de Muertos. And it was really cool to see that a little bit when you saw the graves in the cemetery that Fujito would visit when he was visiting Matsumura's grave. And you would see that they were decorated with flowers oh, yeah. and yeah. different offerings and things like that. And it's really something you see with graves pretty much all over the world. But in particular, um, any like Latino culture, um, like Mexican culture, any, anything in Central and South America that's such a big, big deal is to visit your ancestors and to visit your family and friends at the graves. Because technically, the idea is that you die three deaths in Mexican culture, which is that, um, well, first is your bodily death, then your death from the surface, which is when you're lowered into the ground and buried. And then the third is when you're forgotten. And I think that's the idea is that the person's technically not totally dead. It's just that they're they're not with you. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're with you, oh but they're not physically with you.
1: They're with you in spirit,
2: right?
0: Man, that's a really interesting influence for the series. Reminds me of I because when I heard that, I was immediately thought about eyes that how he was killed by sorcerers and then he rose on living dead day. And then basically he walked around the hole and realized there was nothing left there for him. And so he is basically someone forgotten. So I, I wonder if that's like a connection that Ayashita like kind of was explicitly like putting in there, especially with also then, you know, Kaiman, I, Ai, Aikawa, like the multiple different lives, the heads they have.
1: Mm, that is really interesting. I, I definitely didn't pick up on any of that at all. But that that's a really interesting angle. I hadn't considered.
2: Yeah, it's funny because when I um when I first read through Doro I think I I for some reason I got what? the idea that um what was it? I thought I was buried alive because <laughs> it, it looked like his eye was just like a little bit open and looking at the at the uh, coroners. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. I even said that during the reread. He's like, oh, he's buried alive. And I, oh God, I felt like such a, such a clown once I figured out that, oh, he was technically, he was resurrected. But I guess you, you could certainly say that where it was like the minute that he rose out of his grave and left his human life behind, he essentially became a forgotten person and became a new person in the sorcerer realm. And in some ways that also ties back to what happened with Nikaido as well, was that her magic... From a very young age, in trying to correct the mistake she made in retroactively killing Yakumo, she had erased it, erased her own sorcerer existence and went on to live in the hole as a human. So it's like they had essentially cut short the life that they found unsatisfying or unhappy or upsetting, and they tried to make a new one.
3: That really does seem to be one of the other themes in it, that it isn't necessarily... As much about where you're born, as much as what you choose to do with your life. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see it with opposite ways with Nikaido and Shin.
0: Yeah, I mean, your life does not have to be like, it doesn't have to be something set in stone. Like, you can change the circumstances of your life. Like, you can go to a different place. You can
2: reinvent yourself. You don't have to be stuck in one way Yeah, and it's interesting to see how it kind of comes full circle, because Kaiman had originally wanted to be a sorcerer. He gets to be one, then he's not anymore. Yokaido didn't want to be a sorcerer. She is for a little while, then she's not, and is essentially a human again. And it's kind of interesting how it's a little fluid, like, the idea of human-sorcerer. Like, yeah, it's rooted in the way that they're born and what environment they grew up in, but they don't necessarily have to abide by that, just the way Shin doesn't abide by having to be a human in the whole. Like, he even says, there's nothing left for me there. Um, I'm not going to go back. I'm perfectly fine being a sorcerer. And you do also see that, I think, in relation to how he connected with Noi, which was that Noi didn't want to be En's tool. She didn't want to be used by him. She didn't want to be a partner to him, which you actually find out in some of the extra comics that are float around from Q Hayashida, was that En originally wanted Noy to be his partner, and she didn't want to be. And that's the reason why she decided to take the devil test was to get away from him. And it's kind of neat just that these characters are sort of um, playing around with identity a bit, and what they're capable of, and that they don't always want what people want for them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the fluidity of identity is really fascinating because at first there seems to be a hard rule of, hey, you can only be this one thing. If you're a human, you can't become a sorcerer. And, and that is challenged later in the manga as humans do become sorcerers and then go back to being humans and it's, and sorcerers become devils and then revert back to sorcerers. Like these things can change, like these identities. They are what you make of them. And a home is not necessarily a place. It's the people you're with and who you find. I think the noise story is also really great because she takes the devil's test to get away from being En's partner, but then she kind of sabotages her own test to be shin's partners because she finds like something new that she wants to do like a new relationship that she wants to have Mm -hmm. so i I really think that's really really interesting
4: i think um going back to the the, like the fluidity of identity and how like all these like labels of like sorcerer human etc like how you appear in the world and like interact with other people is like I find it really fascinating, especially when you take into account like how, like all the cast is basically divided into different factions, and because we get like their perspectives throughout the story, um, we get to see how how they live and how they interact with each other. And part of what makes it really interesting is the fact that like because we get to like live in their lives and or like peer seeing them into their lives, and then like going going into like the cross eyes and how their their like whole thing is that. They're sorcerers, but they have very weak magic, and uh, they have to band together in order to, like, survive in the world, and the fact that um, that's the group that ends up being formed by a former human, a- Aikawa, uh, and then, like, that-, that whole, like, situation, and, like, getting tangled up with Risu, who—his whole, like, pursuit of, like, power and, like, trying to get, like, uh, acknowledgement for being, like, a sorcerer, but, like, with weak magic or whatever— um, he kind of gets that like after his whole death like his whole power is curse and like being able to like haunt people and like the fact that he could only get like this kind of like power in death and like I don't know it's really fascinating to me because uh, obviously like the laws of physics don't really apply when, when it comes to like magic and stuff and how you can have like deals with devils and like the manipulation of like magic and how you could basically like change your body in different ways and stuff like the way that, like, magic plays a part in the world, I think is, like, it, it ties in a lot to how, like, people can, like, be comfortable in their own identities or, like, pursue what they really want to do. And I think, like, that's part of what helps, like, illustrate the themes of, like, getting together and, like, breaking the cycles of hatred. Just because, like, going back to Risu... Like, Risu is, like, one of the the most fascinating characters to me just yeah. because, because of, like, how he's so tangled up. And, like, we for the longest time we only know him as like oh the man inside Kaiman's mouth. But like how he was like tangled up with like Aikawa and their their relationship was like very pure and very like sincere. But then like being betrayed is uh it's like an illustration of like what happens when like uh you have uh those kind of relationships and just like completely turn on them. What 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 do you have when you're like in such a like a dog shit world where everyone just like it's everyone for themselves and you finally find someone else who can like you can lean on, but then like once they're gone, you have nothing. Like you're that's it. Like there's literally nothing else to look forward to because of the fact that like uh when you're alone, like you have nothing else.
0: Yeah. I think the series weebs like themes of class identity and even gender in really fascinating ways and i think rizu is such a essential and important character because as a singular character he really is implementing symbolic of like the overall team of like letting go that cycle of hatred because i mean his curse his power is literally fueled by malice and vengeance like it is going to seek out the people who killed him after his death and blindly attack anyone that is remotely looking to attack it or harm it. And just, it's a pure being of, like, violence. And then ultimately, Rizu is only able to get it under control when he remembers emotions that he has beyond hatred, beyond being pissed off. He remembers, like how he felt like when he was just alone and vulnerable and then he kind of taps into those emotions and then ultimately he does break the curse by killing I but it's not a moment of anger in which he does it it is like a sad moment where he has to kill his friend and he's not like angry at that point so like he breaks the curse but not in a moment of anger that's I love that so
4: much I cried I did too. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah it was,
2: was interesting because um, it's just like that's the entire thing that Cursed focuses on is killing who killed him. And once he finally has to do it, it's like a pretty painful moment for him. What makes it work is the fact that it's supposed to
4: be like the whole concept behind it is like looking for a form of closure. And obviously when, when you do something, uh, when you're not in like uh, like a like a clear state of mind, it's you're you're not gonna get the closure that you're looking for. But being able to like be conscious of like what you're doing, even when you're like drowning in sorrow and hatred and all these like negative negative emotions, uh, and you're able to like clearly like be aware of what you're doing, like, that says a lot. Like that's like the kind of uh perspective that a lot of people need in order to
2: like acknowledge and move on with their lives. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. And the thing that was really interesting with Risu, too, is he kind of sort of got caught in the crossfire between, like, human and sorcerer, because in a lot of ways, like, he doesn't really fit in either group. Right. You have a lot of characters like that, like the cross eyes, Fujita, where they don't really fit in powerful sorcerer or weak human, though, arguably, a lot of them are pretty weak. And even so, you can just tell that with um, the way that they wield their weapons, which is kind of frowned upon in the sorcerer realm, where it's like, you know, if you're a sorcerer, you should be able to defend yourself with your magic. Why are you using weapons? And it it does sort of seem like he actually does ride that cusp a bit where he could easily pass for a human, but he's also a very powerful sorcerer. And the fact that um, Aikawa's this sort of aikawa's quote-unquote dark passenger to borrow a uh term from <laughs> dexter i think did, did anyone catch that um sees through that and kills him and that does sort of set off the chain of events that's going on here
4: mm-hmm. i think it's um something really interesting about like that division between like not powerful or, or like nor- like a normal sorcerer and then the the weak sorcerers like quote-unquote like the fact that like I think it's interesting, like, the choice in what they choose to, like, arm themselves with to defend themselves. Like, uh Fujita, he has, like, guns and stuff. But uh the cross-eyes, a lot of them use knives. And I think that makes them a lot closer to, like, humans because of the fact that it's, like, a melee weapon. And it's, like, they produce the black powder. But I think most of them, like, they're aware of, like, the effects and, like, how, like, addictive it is or whatever. So they they choose not to, like, use it on their own. Like, they, they just apply it to other people.
0: Yeah, I mean, the cross-eyes are, like, kind of the heroes of the poor class of the in the sorcerer's world because they are distributing the black powder, which is kind of like an equalizer... A scene is hopeful for a lot of people that they, in a world that's made them feel so powerless, can have a semblance of power and take ownership of their own power. And I think that Cross sizes use of knives is so interesting because that is a close combat weapon, and to wield needs a lot of skill and position So that they are proud of their own power and using it in that way. It's different from like when Fujit is trying to use a gun, which is another weapon, but also a little bit more impersonal than like wielding a knife and being like right up there like fighting your opponent
4: it's it's a much different like uh direction to like tackle a problem from because like when you're when you're doing like close quarters combat you have to be able to like react and you have to be able to like move physically when you have like a projectile weapon it's more like in a way you're more safe because you have like distance as like an advantage or whatever but it it shows like how much more willing the cross eyes are to like take matters into their own hands and like jump headfirst into this fucked up world
2: oh yeah definitely and i think Mm. there's also um that element too when it comes to fujita's magic technically his magic is are sort of like is like a very weak pea shooter and really that that does kind of um resemble a gun in a sense and for that and for that to be um his weapon of choice really kind of shows that he's aware of, of how weak his, his magic is, and he's trying to compensate for that. Though, also, the other thing, the other downside when it comes to using firearms, too, is that there's a lot of safety that goes into it. Like, the way you stand, the way you're holding it. Uh, uh, your oh, posture, your posture, and like, like Yeah, and trigger, that, trigger trigger that can really backfire pretty badly if you don't know how to actually use a gun. And can lead to a lot of pretty terrible accidents, which really ties into whenever he uses the black powder. Yeah. Technically, he could use his magic to on something that's more like ballistic, like throwing a ball. And he does kind of fr- he does forget about that, like right after the baseball episode. But anyway, um, <laughs> which which really frustrates me to no end. Let me tell you, because um, <laughs> he really did was able to do some damage with using a baseball. But anyway, just taking a little too much black powder can um, be extremely, extremely damaging. In fact, it rebounds on him the second time he does it because he's taking it directly from Kai's tubes and it blows, it pretty much blows his arm to pieces and it's like unrecognizable. (laughs) And it really does kind of show that like taking too much power, and not knowing how to wield it very much almost killed him.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, self-destructive. I think that's another really essential theme is that, you know, it's one thing to have like a lot of power, but what are you using that power for? Are you using it responsibly? Can you control that power? And like whose benefit are you using power for? Because we have people with a whole range of different abilities in the series and they use those abilities in different ways for their own ends or to help other people, I think it's very telling that, like, the person at the top of the hierarchy in the series, Shitaruma, he uses his powers simply for his own amusement. But, yeah, I I think that we have people in the series who use their powers, you know, to help their comrades, and we have people who use their powers solely just to hurt and subjugate others, Uh, devils mainly, who exploit their powers to, like, play tricks or outright, like, cruelly deal with uh, sorcerers and humans. But I also think the difference between the Cross-Eyes and Ends Group is really interesting, because the Cross-Eyes, they don't have any useful magical abilities. They just have their own weapons and their own skills. Ends Group, meanwhile, is stacked with all the most useful abilities. They've got healing magic. They've got a magic that can nullify utter magic. They've got a magic that can uh, transform people into reptilian creatures. They've got a magic that can turn people invisible, erase memories, do a, a lot of crazy things. They have N's mushroom magic, which is one of the most hacked powers <laughs> in the series because it literally makes N like invincible, like that power. And honestly, Fukuyama's power of the meat pies, I think it's kind of on equal terms of like transform anyone, anything with that power. And they're done so. But I do think it's really, really cool that ultimately when they Lose N, and all the N's group is like ousted from the castle and they're on their own in hiding. Uh, the one that has to go in to N's castle, spy on the cross ice and come with a plan to you know revive N is Fujita. And Fujita is the weakest member of the group, but that doesn't mean that his skills are invaluable, nor does his like, passion for the family mean anything less, and Sho acknowledges and sees that, and that's why he signs Fujita for the mission, and Fujita is MVP, because he does uh, rescue End's devil, and he is essential into End's revival.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, he's- he- he basically plays the same role as, like, say, Usopp or Shinpachi. Like, he, like he's the everyman.
2: He reminded me so much to- of Usopp when I first, like, started <laughs> reading. <laughs> Definitely.
1: <laughs> Fujita
4: is, like, the best part of that whole, like- uh, that whole operation, uh, especially because like when Show was like, "You're the one who loves the family the most," and like having that kind of acknowledgement was like, "Oh
1: yes, perfect!" Like oh, man. Yeah,
4: that's the yeah. kind of like recognition that he deserved.
1: Oh yeah, for I sure. gotta say,
3: in a lesser series, a character like Fujita, who at the very beginning definitely gives off some major nice guy vibes, shall we Ugh. say?
5: <laughs> I <laughs> would absolutely.
3: Not like him in another series done by a lesser author, but Kyu Hayashida managed to take a character that on the surface is one that I would normally loathe and make him into one of my favorites. I say despite the fact that almost the entire cast is my favorite, I care deeply about every single character.
1: Yeah, there really aren't any characters that I like actively dislike, which is is pretty huge for me personally. Um, Speaking of the cross-eyes, I was... I'm really happy for that last extra evil chapter at the end of the volume where, like... Dokuga and Tetsujo
0: are, yeah, they're hired by Nikaida.
1: Yeah, because cause otherwise, like, I I, I kind of wish, like, we got something more than than their last interaction with Kaiman at the end. Because it, it really... I thought it was... I mean, it was nice, but, like, it really feels like they got the rawest end of the deal because half their crew is gone.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that surprised me is that the rest of the Cross-Eyes gang weren't revived. They just remain tragic victims of the plan of the whole, which is really, really sad. I mean, not uh, the entire group really got very sad endings to them. But I did like that interaction between... Kaiman and Dokuga and Ditsujo the when they're just walking by each other and Kaiman gives like the noise magic bottle that he just got to him and is like hey use that to heal yourself up because I mean they don't really know it but like uh, you know Kaiman, Aikawa like I think it, the sincere moments and memories they had of their boss where he was kind to them and sticking up with him were that personality more so than the whole personality so that is kind of like him looking out for them still and then they are uh, integrated as part of the community and family of kaiman nikaido the resident people at the hungry bug so that's a really nice ending for them but i was surprised that you know the other four members they remain dead at the end of the series and they weren't revived i feel really really bad about natsuki's dead in particular me too. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, I don't. I mean, for for me personally, it it would have been nice if like maybe we got a moment with like Dokuga at the very least, where it's like, oh well, you know, our friends are dead, but you know what? We just gotta keep on trucking and live and whatnot. I don't know. It just would have been nice to get something a little more personal with them. But that's that's really that's really my only like, I guess, nitpick if you want to call it. Um, something I really want to bring up. Uh, before we. Uh, I mean, we don't have to end like really soon, but just just something I really want to get in here that uh, I don't really have a segue for, but something like I, I I couldn't help but kept like asking myself while I while I was reading the series and something I really want to get opinions on um, just to kind of help, I guess, steer my opinion a little bit is uh, so I guess the only other thing that I feel like people could criticize the series for and uh, again, I am i don't know if anyone necessarily agrees with this, but, like, the only other criticism I could see people lobbying against the series would be its nudity, and I, I want to... <laughs> I, 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 really? Well, I, I, this is what I want to ask. Like, uh, do, you, do you... Did you guys feel like at all that, like, any of the nudity at any point was, like, exploitative at all, or, like, super, super unnecessary? Like, cause I don't know. There were... Like, there were just points where I felt like, did this really need to be here? Or, I don't know, that might be just me.
3: I think we maybe could have had a few less of the um, Naked Ebisu scenes, but I will say, before I knew that Hayashido was a woman, I actually suspected it just based on the fact that she's drawing tons of naked women with huge boobs, but like... Not in a really gross way. The boobs just exist. It's I mean, yeah, for sure. something I had never seen in a manga before and I was like, wow. Then I find out she's a woman. I'm like, oh <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's 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 more yeah. just, it's more just uh, more so just something I, I couldn't really tell for myself, unfortunately. It's I don't not
0: gazy. It's not like for your sexual pleasure enjoyment. Like Hiroshita just likes drawing cool women's bodies you know that's it that's what she enjoys drawing like but but it's it's not fan service it's not something you're meant to ogle at
1: okay
4: i would say maybe like the only maybe like quote unquote like explicitly horny kind of like nudity or like semi-nudity was like toward the end once like nikaido became a double but that came off more like hayashida like thirsting for her own character
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it did feel like that towards the very end, because like a lot of the nudity in Doro Hidoro is like pretty incidental, or it's meant to be goofy, and it really does get pretty close to crossing the line when it comes to Ebisu. Yeah, um, uh-huh. it just—I mean, she's thirteen; she's technically a child, so
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, I, I, really I think yeah. yeah,
2: for a lot underage, of kids, nudity, yeah, mm. um. And that was uh, something that kept coming up, like, a little bit with people that were very uncomfortable with some of the nudity. Though when it came to Nikaido towards the end, it felt like there was a lot more than usual, I think. Yeah, that was interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I mean, not not that I'm complaining, I mean, I appreciate the view, but like...
3: (laughs) 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 I wonder if that's also a bit of commentary about the difference between regular humans and regular sorcerers and devils that like it's only once you get start getting devil nikaido that you start getting the really horny stuff
2: right yeah yeah, Yeah. i I remember there were um that point where she does the um the body swap magic in volume 13 (laughs) and when she actually changes back to her regular body she covers up her boobs you Mm. don't see that at all with devil nikaido and i think that um once she actually shows off her um, her costume that she makes out, out of scratch and out of, like, kitchen supplies and everything, and she turns around and you see her bare ass. <laughs> Asu said, yeah. sa- said something like, well, yeah, that's part of it, too. And I think what he meant was that, like, once you start becoming a devil, like, shame is no longer a thing either.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: You don't care about your surroundings or how other people perceive you anymore. You're just, like, enjoying every moment. You're, like, Mikado's personality changes so much. Like, she's constantly optimistic. Like, even when horrific things are happening, she just has, like, a wide smile and blank eyes. And, like, even when, like, Aji Kavajiri is, like, being hurt and stuff, like, when she's in that trance, like, she can't break from that personality. So, I think that it is related to the more sexually liberated kind of version of Nekaito that is present when she's in devil form. Yeah.
4: You also kind of see it with um, Haru and uh, Kasukabe. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, totally. Like, you do see that, too, where she kind of doesn't mind stepping out of her body for a few minutes, whether it's to sunbathe or to have sex. Which, (laughs) I mean, you don't actually see it, but it's kind of implied. Like, she keeps it
1: close by, but... Oh, yeah, they fuck all the time, guaranteed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the, they are the only two characters who are definitely, we know, are, you know, having relations. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I
1: I just want to put out there that, like, I'm not bringing this up because, like, I'm not okay with it or anything. It's just something that, like, while I was reading, I wasn't sure if, like, the intent behind it could be misread or whatnot by some people.
2: Right, I think the only time that, like, I've really seen people complain about it, and rightfully so, would be whenever it involves Ebisu, which is, yeah. like, understandable.
1: Yeah, Ebisu, I wasn't, I t- definitely wasn't sure, because I, I don't know if it's stated in the series at any point at all, but, like, I didn't know she was 13, but, like, that totally makes sense, in retrospect, honestly, and...
2: It's only yeah. really yeah. in the guidebook that was released, I think it was in 2013, there was, like, this made-to-order guidebook that was released that has, like, all the characters' ages, their shoe size, you name it.
3: Yeah, the fact that she included shoe size is... (laughs) That just says so much about her. She's just like, here, have all of these tiny random details, just because I want them to be. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, that was another thing with me personally, too, in how, like, you know, there's a lot of nudity, but I was okay with it because I just kind of assumed that, you know, I just assumed all the characters are or I guess besides we are all adults, so that's also something. Because mm-hmm. it's 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 definitely it's definitely better than like your usual typical anime and manga where it's like yeah we're okay with showing naked twelve year olds or whatever. I guess for whatever reason, yeah,
0: thankful difference of uh, audience and author there. Yeah,
1: exactly. But yeah, I think we're uh, we're getting kind of close to. Um, to the two hour mark here and i don't i feel bad because like i don't want to totally just like cut off our discussion because i think we're i think i think we've been having a really good one here but like i guess before we because we we do have one or two like twitter questions i want to get to um i guess just in general do we have any like final thoughts on Doro Hidoro or like any any straight anything like we want to bring up before we get to the end of the show here soon? Or
4: I had like one thing that I just realized back when I was talking about Fujita.
1: Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: I realized like once the anime came out and I started watching it um, with like the first episode and how N like speaks to Fujita. There's like a sense that he really does care for Fujita as if he's like part of like like yeah, it's like a mafia family, but it's like a real family. Um, and it made me think about how, with like n's backstory, like all the the hard stuff he went through in order to like free himself from his like own oppression and like the fact that he's kind of like made this organization in order to like kind of stop that uh in a way for like at least the people that he is capable of protecting. And I think, um, that's what makes the, the Fujita moment, like, much more sincere when Sho tells him that you love the family the most. Because when I first started reading the series, like, I didn't really, and was like a neutral character for me. Uh, I didn't really appreciate him as much until, like, the end when he did, like, all those massive feats and stuff. But, like, do you really get a sense, like, on a reread or, like, uh, like a retrospective of, like, how much his family, like, matters to him? And it makes the, it makes, like, the label of, like, a family, like, much more significant for me.
0: Yeah. I think the N family is such a great a group of characters, because they do all have very close relationships, and they all very much value each other. And Fujita is definitely a part of it. Even though he is kind of the butt monkey of the group, he is still a part of the group, and he is loved and cared about by other members. Like, there's a moment where he's being bullied very early on in the series, and then Shin and Noi come to his rescue by, like, brutally... Uh, murdering his attackers
1: <laughs> like they look out for each other you can't say they don't care
0: and chop one person off and then and yes sandwich the other guy with the <laughs> curse of the other guy oh that was so good oh yeah I mean right. N is oh, N is not a completely altruistic character I think oh definitely he, not he, he has created this class system like people outside his family are suffering from the consequences of his group and his own magic we see in the underground like mushrooms are growing over like like, improper sorcerers' uh, homes and stuff, and they're solely infesting them. So he is causing, like, harm to other people, but, like, it is kind of, like, a microcosm example of, like, communities, and, like, you can't you shouldn't just, like, value and respect the humanity of your own community. You should also respect those outside your community, too. And just because you were a victim of oppression, that does not give you the license to oppress and hurt others in vengeance.
4: I think um, it makes perfect sense uh, that Anne is the one who's, like, the one sorcerer who's not really a devil who can still, like, talk casually with Chidaruma. Uh, because they both have like very similar ideals of like uh i'm strong therefore i get what i want but um and has that like that little extra uh because of his past and the fact that he was born not a devil that uh it lets him like actually empathize more and that's what makes like Jadaruma's punishment of like oh now you get to be like a human for like five thousand years like that's i think like that's gonna actually be significant if if you like the exercise about like the future of the series or whatever like
0: yeah I mean ruma I do he's like the only character punished truly at the end of the manga but even then his punishment is an optimistic one like well the hope that he will grow up as a human to be a different person so I really really enjoyed that I can kind of, like the heart of the series is so optimistic and believes in like community and family And just treasuring friendships. Like, it's so sweet for how, like, violent and how much that is a constant part of this world.
3: I think a lot about one interview fragment I saw floating around years ago, so forgive me if I'm quoting a little bit incorrectly, where Kyu Hayashi described the manga as being like, a song with horrible lyrics, but it's so happy you can't help but dance to it. Oh, I don't remember that.
0: <laughs> kind of like Haru's
2: song. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was on Iki's old website um, where she said something like the inspiration came from music with like really messed up lyrics, but you just can't help but dance to it.
3: I guess sort of oh, like heavy wow. metal and slipknot and <laughs> There's stuff like defi- that. Definitely, yeah, she definitely is a slipknot fan. <laughs> Once I found that out, everything made a lot more sense.
4: I can't believe that Q Hayashita wrote Crazy Frog.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow.
1: Um, So Marion actually mentioned the anime earlier, and I kind of want to lead that into one of our Twitter questions uh, from at Spooky L, who wanted to ask our thoughts on the anime adaptation and whether we liked it. Uh, Personally, they say that uh, the only disappointment... Uh, was that, uh, they didn't like the ending of the season and that it didn't feel like a very, like, like, season finale-esque ending, which I'm, I'm sure there's a reason for that. Like, I'm sure wherever they, wherever they ended at season one was probably a pretty,
0: yeah, they ended season one with after Kaiman has rescued Nikaido from En's mansion. And, like, they're just having conversation with each other about, like, you know, Nikaido kind of tells Kaiman about her past and that she used to be a sorcerer. But she stopped using magic because, you know, of the harm it caused her friend. And then they kind of recommit to their friendship. And that's where the season ends, basically. But, yeah, I mean, it's not a... Um, it's hard to have like a clean satisfying season ending because like as we talked about before like after Kaiman goes into the sorcerer's hole on his own from that point on the series just keeps going and going and everything is interconnected and constantly moving so I thought they chose like a good place like to stop because like they focused it like, the season on the kaiman Nikaido friendship and relationship. So, like, to end with that scene was a good choice. But, like, obviously the long, overarching story treads are still there. Like, the final episode begins with, like, Rizu's flashback, his school days with uh, Aikawa, and, like, him arriving in Barrett to seek out, like, answers and stuff. But, and so obviously that tread is up lingering, like all oh, the rest of the plot threads are lingering. So yeah, I mean, hopefully they adapt the rest of the story in uh, an- in the anime. Oh,
3: God, I hope so. I will admit one thing in the uh, last episode credits, when I saw the cross eyes and especially Dokuga, I was just like, no, you gave <laughs> me my boy for like, two seconds. Wow. Yeah, Bring just him back.
0: One, one quick shot. They teased us. They teased us. And it's like, oh, man. You, you gotta give us more, the second season now. We gotta see them.
1: I haven't seen a lot of the anime myself. I watched the first episode. And I I thought it was uh, I thought it was very entertaining. I'm man, you know, honestly, after reading this entire series, like I really wonder how much more anime they're gonna give it if at all, and whether we're gonna run into that problem where it's like, okay, let's try to fit the rest of the story in maybe like one or two more seasons or whatnot.
0: Yeah. Well, pacing wise this first season adapted six and a half volumes. It's basically covers through content in the middle of volume seven. And so they did that in twelve episodes, so it was like, you know, half a volume per episode. I it was a little fast, but it also worked based on like how they structured the episode. It didn't feel like
1: too much.
0: I didn't think so. I mean, in terms of, like, how many more seasons, I think two or three 12-episode seasons uh, would probably work. Because this story
1: is very dense, is the thing.
0: Yeah, especially, like, when you get to the last couple volumes. Like, truthfully, if all the volumes were the same length, it would be, like, three volumes longer than it actually is. So I
3: would say definitely at least two or three more, especially because, well... If you compare the pacing and density of it to something like, oh, Jojo Golden Wind, which almost felt cramped a little bit at its um, 36 or 8. Wow, I'm a bad fan. I can't remember that number. 39 episodes, I think. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like that was a pretty good length, but any shorter wouldn't have worked. Whereas Dorodoro in its entirety is longer than Golden Wind, so you'd need to have at least that episode count. Mm-hmm. And I'd say the manga are similarly dense in terms of how much is happening at any given time.
4: When I read it and then the anime came out, I was like, all right, I have an idea. Like, it's probably going to be like a third of the content, like, like the first third of the series. And then, um, I mean, for the stuff that they like cut out, like mostly like minor stuff like the boxing match or whatever, uh, granted like that would be fun to see, but, uh, it's not like that necessary. Um, yeah. I could see them doing just, like, two more cores, but ideally, I would like the last core to be a little longer, like, let's say, like, 15 episodes instead of just 12. Um, I think that would be, like, just perfect. Oh, yeah, that would
2: certainly work. Yeah. Because if they were going to go on that same trajectory of, like, six and a half volumes each, then it would probably be very hard to, like, get that last chunk of the series to work in such a small time frame, because there's just so much in there.
4: Yeah. Like, the last volume alone is, like, dense enough to be, like, three or four episodes. Oh, definitely. uh, It's depending on, like, how it's, like, adapted. Like, I don't think it could be, it should be that much of an issue, as long as they have, like, the episode count for it. In in terms of, like, the, the anime as a whole, like, they did what they could, and I was pretty satisfied overall.
0: I think it's really fun to watch, and obviously I love the story and characters, so it's cool to see it animated. I admit more sunlight than I was expecting, and I think that threw tr- tr- me off. That it was the there's a lot of scenes where this there's a lot of sunlight because uh, when I picture the series, I'm th- th- always thinking that you know even when the sun is out, it's still like kind of grimy and dirty in the both the whole and the sorcerer's world. Yeah, and so I think that the series does lose a little bit of that grit that the manga has. So and also in terms of like cutting stuff out I feel like it does get out some like f- fun bits in terms of like comedic asides just things that was done with ma- the manga pacing of scenes compared to the anime pacing of scenes that I felt you know was a little sad but in terms of like getting the core story across and casting and animation and all that I thought it was really well done.
3: Also the music just gotta yes. give a shout out to how great that is.
0: Oh, all the ending themes are amazing.
4: Shoutouts to No Name. Yeah,
0: yeah. Seriously.
3: I am so grateful that the anime introduced me to them because now they are making up a giant portion of my playlist.
1: <laughs> uh, just, just for the listeners at home, I'm definitely going to be using End's Mushroom Song at some point in this podcast. So uh, if I haven't <laughs> used it already, uh, I'm, I'm, nice. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad the anime at least gave us that because, like, when I when I got to that part in the manga, like, I immediately like searched that out. Like, I got to listen to this, uh, which was great.
2: Yeah, I would say that my take on the anime was pretty much the same as Marion's, where like they really did try their hardest to like create a rendition of the manga that was marketable and watchable for an audience. That's not familiar with Q Hayashita's work. And there there definitely are some places where I think they could have gone differently. And I wasn't totally keen on the use of CGI, but I understood why they were using it. It felt like it really stayed true to the spirit of the manga. I mean, the soundtrack is very close to the original soundtrack that Kyu Hayashida compiled back in 2016. Um, the backgrounds are very Akira-inspired, which really does go, go with how the manga is very Akira-inspired. And, of course, the CGI really did limit some of the expressiveness of some of the characters, which I was a little miffed by, but at the same time, it did really help a lot of the fight scenes, too. Which would be probably pretty hard to it would be very difficult to create like a a two D rendition of some of those scenes. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah because yeah. the CGI models are a little bit more flexible.
3: I'm definitely also a member of the there are a few things that I think they uh I'm not one hundred percent happy at, but overall I love that it exists and I love that they obviously did the absolute best job they could and i love how many people i've been screaming at read this manga for years have finally watched the anime and now they are retweeting shin noe onto my feed <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it really succeeded in that way like it got people interested in the series and so now we're seeing a lot more interest in the manga so i mean that's what you want from an anime adaptation to you know drive focus on the manga. at the very least so, yeah
1: yeah um but uh, just, just, just to move on to uh, our other Twitter question here from at Foam Built Bot. Uh, what are some of our favorite outfits from the series? And uh, I mentioned Ebby Sue's shark outfit or mascot costume. That's the best.
3: Everybody loves yeah. that. <laughs> Literally everybody.
1: Yeah. But uh, what about you guys?
4: Personally, I feel very represented by shins like Dirty Tux and Air Force Ones. I feel very, very New York shouted out right there.
3: I love how every single piece of Shin's outfit fits him badly, but in a slightly different way. It's like <laughs> <laughs> but also, I love devil nikaido with like or not devil nikaido with the uh, outfit made of oven mitts because that's just that's, that's just so choice yeah. Yeah. yeah, so many of <laughs> yes.
2: nikaido's outfits it's like really hard to choose some of them um yeah the de- the devil nikaido outfit then the one that she put on during in the central department store because that one fell apart uh i also really like fem kawajiri's um was is it oh, a key? yeah
0: yeah Chinese dress and hair
2: buns,
4: yeah. Is it like a chong sound, or Changsan a chong something?
2: Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, just like really stylish. And I really do like how a lot of um, Nikaido and Kawajiri's outfits and everything are very um, Chinese coded. Because that's mm-hmm. kind of... Even though like the series is very, very Japanese influenced... You do have, like, a little bit of the Dragon Ball influence, too, from Q. Hayashida, where, like, there still is some Chinese outfits, aesthetic, food, and everything. And it's, it's, it's really neat to see because it's very ornate, um, mm-hmm. very detailed, and really just very pleasant to look at.
1: See, I'm glad you brought up Dragon Ball because, like, I, I when I was tweeting about reading Dorohedoro, I, uh, it, like, especially when it came to, like, uh, little, little baby Nakaido... Just going around and kicking people in the face. That that ga- she she gives off a lot of she gives off a lot of like kid Goku energy. And there. also
2: and looks pretty much like Vegeta by the end. Yeah. His hair also
0: resembles yeah, Goku's kinda. at one point, honestly.
2: <laughs> yeah, that one translated interview I like referred to a while back, she mentioned that like a lot of the time when she was in art school and in high school and everything, she basically was just freehanding dragon ball doodles and like that was where her style developed and it's just totally not surprising (laughs) in that sense
3: yeah that makes perfect sense
1: that's amazing
3: Um, she's one of the authors where the more you learn about the things other than her like art that she likes and what the things that she considers influence the more you read about those the more you just get this feeling of Ah, that explains. Yeah, it. that was that was me when I
2: um learned that she liked Twin Peaks because I makes too much sense. Yeah, yeah. I kept on thinking of all those um all those points where like Kai reminded me of Bob taking over Leland. Which I mean, I know like not everybody's like watched Twin Peaks, but that was like such a huge fad in like nineties Japan. And I think that yeah. like I think that Q grew up with that and was like really into it kind of the way she was with the X-Files.
3: I practically live in Twin Peaks. And yeah, that (laughs) makes perfect sense. Yeah.
2: And it's just that that's sort of like how there is sort of a surface world that's mundane and has a lot of that very familiar comfortability with it. But there's also a lot of horror underneath. It's like, yeah, Dorohedoro is like a really Lynchian sort of series. And it like, just sort of the weird things that kind of happen in there also reminded me of the weird things that happen in Twin Peaks. I mean, that one point in Risu's Nightmare where, like, Kai's turning away from the mirror, it reminded me almost exactly of the How's Annie scene, where Coop bangs his head on the mirror and is laughing, with Bob reflected in it. It was almost exactly like that.
1: See, Tw- Twin Peaks has inspired, like, so many things that I'm into, like, now Dorohedoro D- Dor- Jojo, and, like, I I'm, I'm a huge fan of Gravity Falls as well, so, like... I feel like I really need to get on Twin Peaks at some point. It's definitely on my yeah, list. Yeah,
2: I need to watch it again. It, it, I've watched it when I was in college, but it was really wild. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I re- like I said, I need to rewatch it considering that, like I said, I basically live there. The waterfalls in the opening are less than an hour drive for me and I have been there many times when I just need to clear my so, head. Yeah. So. It was wow. apparently
2: a like something of a fan pilgrimage site back in the day. Like there were even oh. like fans from Japan that would like fly to Washington.
3: Oh there are definitely in the uh, several of the areas that were used for filming the exteriors, there are definitely still fan pilgrimage type of stuff. Like they have a replica of the diner and everything. Oh wow.
2: Okay, now I want to go there.
3: Okay, <laughs> come visit me.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but uh, I guess not really a question, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, to James at that one welder guy who added us and said, uh, "It's not about the friends you make; it's the gyoza you eat along the way." And I couldn't agree Very more. Very
3: true. Very true. Yeah, that's it. That's it.
1: Yeah, that's a good note. Oh, to end. I love the you, works. James. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, if I if I like if I didn't already like love Gyoza, you know, before like this that entire last volume made me hungry for Gyoza. <laughs> yeah,
2: I found myself <laughs> I, instinctively just sort of making it whenever something <laughs> whenever something would come up, like any kind of like Dorohead Doro news, and it was almost like subconscious where I was like,
3: oh yeah, gotta say. A hint for listeners who may also have the depressions and therefore not very much like energy for cooking. The frozen gyoza Trader Joe's cells, if you do the pan fry method, are actually pretty decent.
5: Oh, nice.
3: So if you want, if you don't have the energy to do the roll the dough, pinch, fill, fry or anything, that's been something that I have definitely eaten this week.
2: Yeah, I always went to, like, Ajinomoto Gyoza, but if I can't find that, yeah, I should try the Trader Joe's, because it's, like, hard to find a replacement for Ajinomoto, because after I had that, it's like I couldn't have any other kind of gyoza.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, I I live pretty close to a, a Thai place uh and i'm just i'm i'm so tempted to just like make an order of gyoza and just go over there and pick it up now i'm so hungry <laughs> <laughs> for
4: like the week that i finished the reading series like i had to go to work like christmas eve and after my shift ended my coworker worker invited me to go eat ramen at this place called eak and he's like the the gyoza here is to die for i'm like you're fucking kidding me, like, I'm in such a <laughs> mood <for> gyoza, like, <laughs> it was absolutely perfect.
3: I'm somehow surprised it took this long into the podcast for everybody to start talking about how much we want to eat gyoza, because that's just the Dora Hidoro experience. <laughs>
1: it really is. Well, yes. that, that's like, that's like on the list of things we need to mention. Gyoza, uh, you know, the Noi stepping on us, uh, uh, <laughs> other stuff. That I can't think of. Um, th- we're, 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 I think we're checking off all the boxes Specifically,
3: here. I want Noe to pick me up and give me a kind of hug of the sort that makes every <laughs> single bit of my spine crack so I can finally stop having the tension.
5: That is the very specific
3: <laughs> thing I want. And I'm mad I can't have it.
1: I want Noe to just pick me up and just kind of cradle me for a little bit until Aww. I fall asleep. That'd be nice, actually.
4: I want to eat... Uh- Turkeys turkey. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: Always oh, yeah, fresh. That, uh, Always oh, fresh. Oh yeah, that was a that was a pretty that was a pretty huge thing that I was not expecting oh, at God, all. Really?
0: I don't know. I I kinda imagined that it that was gonna have a gender reveal. But I appreciate it. I like having I don't know if they're supposed to be explicitly trans necessarily. Yeah, I it's wasn't like sure they either. have a trans feminine body, but they seem they say that I'm a man or I was, so it's kind of unclear like how they consider themselves. But you know, trans feminine body, I, it's so interesting representation. I think in general, there's some interesting playing with gender uh, throughout. The manga of characters like going back and forth different genders, like when Nikaido takes on a devil form, like she calls her devil persona like he/him pronouns. Uh, like other characters still address Nikaido in that form as she and uh, she/her pronouns, but like she herself called like her future devil self like with he/him pronouns. So I thought that was interesting. Especially since the body also looks more masculine.
2: Yeah, the thing with uh, the thing with turkey is pretty interesting. Because I know that we've had that conversation before on Twitter where, like, it's hard to, to kind of tell whether turkey's meant to be trans or trans-coded. But um, the way I sort of saw it was just, like, because turkey's revealed does sort of involve, like, changing your body to fit who you are on the inside... And how you see yourself—that's pretty trans. So <laughs> I yeah. think that that if people want to interpret Turkey that way, then that's perfectly fine. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, because uh, I think uh,
5: we yeah, you... actually—I th-
2: I think we actually went ahead and like retranslated, or at least looked at the panel where Turkey oh, yeah. talks about that. And,
4: yeah, we did that on Twitter.
2: Yeah, and it's sort of <laughs> like. The way Turkey says it's like, well, originally I was a guy, but over the past several years, I've been using, I've decided to use this feminizing, like, body transformation magic. It's like Sorcerer a- HRT, kind of. like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's such a
0: different, like, connotation than, than what the Viz translation has, where they say, like, I am a man, but then go on to say, but... You know, past few years, I was used. I've been feminizing my body, like, cause that the statement of saying I am a man or saying, well,
2: I was
0: originally a man, is so different.
2: So yeah, that's that kind of what the um that was sort of what the original said was like. It said like originally, mm. I was, I used to be, and that was something that that is something you see with like some transgender Japanese people will say, well, I was this. Yeah, that's key context there. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. That, see, I, I I see the difference there. Yeah, but uh, I I guess what what while I was reading, I I just I just kind of assumed that's what they had meant. But I I could see why the difference there is key.
2: Yeah, because I think that is something that's a little different with like the Japanese trans experience. Because I know there is a there is a manga called The Bride Was a Boy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And the way she talks about her gender, she does say used to be a guy or used to be mm. used to be a boy. And that was something that I think somebody had asked, like, doesn't that seem a little bit, you know, problematic when talking about trans experiences? But if it's about the individual, I think it's a little different, because that's something that she talks about whenever answering reader questions, and she says something along the lines of, well, that's how I experience it, but I can't exactly speak for other people. And that's kind of like a real key element to when trans people talk about like their gender and everything. So, that was something with turkey that I thought about. And even when a, when the word, um, I think the word, shumi, shumi, um, uh. shumi usually, like, means like, f- hobby or for fun. And I think that was in the, that was in the original text, but that could also mean, like, something you want to do or prefer. Mm. Oh. And turkey uses that when talking about using the transformation magic to feminize their body.
4: Yeah, like, preference or, like,
2: like i i'm doing this because i want to kind of mm-hmm. and that okay. also kind of seems sort of like a it does seem kind of like something that a trans person does sort of talk about when it comes to transitioning is that like well i don't necessarily need to do this i don't really want to do that but i would like to do this like it, it's very much a personally guided journey for mm-hmm. and i really did sort of see that with turkey And interpreted Mm -hmm. it that way even though i wasn't sure at first like is this sort of sorcerer cross dressing or is this sorcerer hrt and i think it more and more it kind of leans a little bit more towards sorcerer hrt so and again it's more of an interpretation
1: yeah that's interesting uh i see Hidoro. as much as i loved it the first time around i definitely think I definitely think it's the kind of series that I think I'll get so much more out of out of a reread because, you know, while you guys were talking about its sort of idea of gender, like I definitely didn't pick up on any of this like throughout my first reread and so it's really interesting to me.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: It's such a dense series that you almost have to read it multiple times in order to pick up on, well, a lot of things.
2: Yeah, there's just so much detail to it that it's very hard to pick up the first time you read it, and it can go over your head, so it does help to, like, read it more than once. I mean, I sure as hell have to, so,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for, for for anyone who's listening who's a patron at patreon.com slash manga mavericks wink, uh, you know, the, the Doro Hidoro might be a good candidate for, uh, for a side podcast, the Manga Mavericks Book Club, uh, where we... Go through different manga we've read on the show, you know, volume by volume. Like, I think this definitely warrants another read from this podcast. Yeah, uh, over at the Patreon, Uh, I think that would be really cool. Because, I mean, I mean, hell, like after talking about Dora Hidoro today, like, like I said, like there's so there's so much that like you guys have talked about that I didn't pick up on the my uh, initially
0: yeah we barely scratch the surface, I think, in terms of even talking about characters and how they fit into the overall teams and narrative of the story. like we we've just scratched the surface.
3: I have a silly quest thing, like it's a question I forgot to tweet, but since I'm on it, I can just <laughs> oh? ask everybody.
1: <laughs> oh, what's your question?
3: Okay, other than Noe, who is your favorite character? Mm. What a- that's hard.
1: How do you see, check yeah. between all
3: your babies, all your children? <laughs> I know. It's painful.
1: Well, I guess I gotta pick my favorite child now.
4: <laughs> I, I thought about this ahead of time because uh when we talked about Doradoro on Good Friends, like like Colton said, like it's so hard to just like sit one time and talk about the whole thing. And that's why um Kadeem wanted to make like the Doradoro podcast. And we're gonna do like a book book club style thing too as well. But uh, yeah, Ooh. I was I was thinking like you know what? Like most of the times, I just like connect to characters who are much more like me. And out of like everyone in the cast, um, I feel like the one person who would be me would be like Asu Kawajiri.
1: Mm. Mm. Okay. Um. In terms of characters, like I would actually connect with, like again, I mentioned earlier, I, I I'm a sucker for the the everyman character. So you know, he's not my he's not my favorite character, but I guess. In terms of characters I connect with, it would probably be Fujita, quite honestly. Um, man, favorites. It, it really has to be, ah, uh, this is tough. Uh, cause it, it's, it's always switching. Like sometimes I really like Kaiman a lot cause I, I just, I just like my big goofy lizard boy, uh, <laughs> who eats Gyoza. And then other times I think Shin is really cool. And then other times I like Ebisu, like it's, it's probably a combination of those three somehow.
4: That's really funny. Cause like when I, when I started reading it, I think I changed my Twitter icon to Shin. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> it was that for like the longest time. And then, uh, I had like a really like strong moment connected to Kaiman. And then like immediately after he like, he just left the story. Cause, um, cause of, uh, the icon I'm just like, what the fuck! I
5: finally, like, <laughs> <laughs> I finally
4: connected with Kaiman like on a like a spiritual level, and he's just not he's he's not in the story anymore because it's, it's like a
1: whoops, different character. Yeah, gone for like eight volumes. That physically hurt me to have Kaiman gone for so long. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. <laughs> the characters I connected with, um, of course Fujita is
2: probably the most obvious one. He's been in my mm-hmm. icon mm-hmm. for like the longest time, and of course the second. Though she's sometimes the first would be Nikaido, and any anyone else it just sort of fluctuates. Like just the uh, the ranking of my favorites just fluctuates beneath Fujita and Nikaido. Like it's it's always moving. So <laughs> and I think that's like for a lot of people.
3: Uh, my personal one, um, Dokuga is way up there, but for me it's almost always Shin, and I can't always even explain why. I just see him and I'm like, I love this man. He's great. Please give me more of this.
1: I think besides like, and I mean, it's not to say that uh, nobody else has like iconic character designs, but I feel like, I feel like Shin and Kaiman are probably the most like iconic character designs in the series. Especially Shin with
0: the hard mask on. I love the detail that he wears it backwards. Because yeah, honestly, that's it just looks better so backwards too.
3: It really does. But it's just so <laughs> funny that he's like, He's managed to make it all the way up in society. And yet he's still got that core of being a scruffy street kid underneath. <laughs> and I find that really interesting.
0: Deb. So for me, it's so hard. I've been thinking about it while everyone's talking and everyone's brought up a lot of amazing characters. <laughs> I think that so I'm going to save my favorite in just a moment I think just on a personal level of character I always enjoy but in terms of like characters that make me want to like write an essay about them it's like Rizu for kind of reasons that we brought up before in terms of like how he's kind of like as a singular character so representative of the themes of the series just in just one character arc but also actually Kyrian is actually such an interesting character oh, yeah. and how LKP she comes number three <laughs> yes, and how they, and how she comes into play, like, towards the end of the story. Like, this is a, speaking of characters that are, like, transcoded, like, I got that vibes from Kirin too because, like, they're being misgendered, they're keeping their identity a secret, out of fear of, like, being judged or discriminated against if the truth got out, and there's just a sweet scene at Tomba's shop, where, like, everyone is talking about, you know, human experimentation by sorcerers, and they all admit that, no, we've never done it, because it just didn't feel right why hurt these people like that's just not cool and then that's just it moves kirian so oh
3: much and God, then she's yeah so, it, the progression
2: and, of how she reacts emotionally that's
1: oh, right oh, one, and
3: that's like probably the, one of
2: the best scenes in the series is just would you yeah would, and, would
1: you sorry would, would you guys believe me if i said that was actually the first time the series almost brought me to tears
3: oh i would 100 yeah, believe totally. you
0: and thematically, it's so good too, because Kyrian is the one who, that destroys the door the hole is created, that is letting all of these, you know, specters, these go, these remnants of like humans murdered by sorcerers, like into the hole and creating the rain. Like she destroys that door that is seeping that in. It's so symbolically great that like a human that was treated kindly by sorcerers is, is one of the key people in ending this cycle of hatred between sorcerers and humans. So like, just again on a thematic like character level, like that was so fascinating
4: to me. Yeah. Just hearing that recap made me want to jump off my roof.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I will say then I, I have To go with my heart about, like, who is probably my favorite character, just for, like, just not completely, like, you know, gut reasons, I just enjoy that this kind of character is Choda. I love Chota so much. I've always had I've always had a weakness for these kind of sycophantic, uh, like unabashedly queer characters. Like I've always enjoyed them, and like I, even though Chota like is a little invasive, with N at times, like trying to steal, like sneak a peek at his diary, and in another great X evil chapter, you know, I, I just love Chota. Like he's so funny, he's so fun. He's he's got good heart. to him. But his funny moments and his little bits of spike towards Nakaido are also funny to me. All hail the Lord of Darkness.
5: <laughs> uh,
2: I-, I was really surprised how much I ended up liking Joda because he doesn't come off as the kind of character that most people would really like end up enjoying because there are points where he's really meant to be unpleasant on purpose and like really borders on like a lot of like okama stereotypes but at the same time like you can tell that he's actually very sincerely adores and and actually takes care and really cares about him and takes care of him and it's really just kind of touching to see
0: yeah and trust him with judas's ear like when he's fighting the boss of the cross eyes it's like and he does like try and protect Judas's ear like even after he's been mangled after falling out into a tree and his arms and legs are broken and then at the end the great like reveal of like he may he like has surgery done in his face to make his face look more like ends with ends mask on and then like he kind of like uses his magic to nullify the magic on their limbs so they could just be meat so turkey could chop it up but and like that has that backlash effect on him but like he's willing to like do that sacrifice and put himself out there like i, I like i reach a good heart to him i like him a lot because of that too
1: under, under a lesser writer i feel like chota could have easily you know come off as a more like as a, as a way way creepier character who's not likable at all you know, because I I could have seen myself not liking this character, but uh, I, I feel like Hayashida pulls it off. Like you could you could tell that Chota like just he's his love for N isn't isn't completely out of anything. Like you know you know creepily obsessive. Like he he you could tell that he like genuinely loves N to an extent, and which I think makes it work.
0: Yeah, and you know I said I was gonna only talk about one favorite, but as i've been thinking about it you know what sh- you know what I, I can't forget to mention show show is also really good to me like he really takes charge of the n family like after n is gone he's making all the plans to keep the family safe to get everyone into position to use their strengths you know to keep the family alive and uh, get n back and i really like the chapter again where like it's actually where Wachoda is like trying to, you know, get En's Diary and it ends with a big reveal that En's Diary is like a list of commands to show that disappear like immediately after a show fills them out. And I like that show is kind of like the shadow like, leader of the N family in a way. Like, he's even he's even keeping N in line at the end, as we discussed with, like, erasing N's memories of, like, wanting to pursue Nikaido. So I also really appreciated that character. And again, MVP, he's the one that the N family survives, like, being stuck in the pit by, like, turning their entire matter, soul, invisible,
2: so they fall out of it. So yeah, yeah, him and Fujita have that kind of in common where they're like really overshadowed, but at the same time, they were the ones that actually helped the family survive when they would have otherwise died out.
4: Yeah, definitely. I love the the part where it's like, "Hey, how come we've never seen you before?" And it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, well, I'm the invisible guy. I was there at Blue okay. Night. <laughs> <laughs> I was there." <laughs>
1: It's like, okay, I, I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> But I guess, uh, you know, full, full disclosure, I, I totally meant to like try to end this like an hour ago. But honestly, it's just like, I also did, I didn't, I did, I would have felt bad, like totally just cutting off the discussion because we were having a good one.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, there's so much to talk about. But yeah, I, I think we talked about a good chunk of what makes Duro Hidoro special today. So what have we learned? One, Kyuashita is an awesome artist. Two. Dora is an awesome manga. <laughs> Three. Everyone should read Dorohedoro. <laughs> Everything is chaos. That is Horohidoro.
4: <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Yep.
1: <laughs> Honestly, we, we could just end it there if we didn't want to have everyone plug their stuff. But, uh, I mean, look, usually the, like this is the part of the show where we're like, do we recommend this or not? And it's like, I don't think you need to ask us that. Like, go read Dorohedoro. Please just do it. Like this totally gets like two thumbs up, uh, complete one hundred percent from the Manga Mavericks. We endorse Dorohead Doro. Enough said, uh, Marion, What were you gonna say?
4: I was gonna say instead of two thumbs up, I give it two mushrooms up.
3: <laughs> Actually, that's better.
1: Uh, two two ears from Judas's ear. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that, see, that wasn't as good.
3: Two giant plates of gyoza.
1: Okay, see that's yeah. that's way better. <laughs> uh, all right, but uh, thank you guys so much for joining us on this podcast and talking about Dora Hidoro. This was really fun.
2: Oh yeah, I are flattered.
4: I was yeah, really flattered. flattered to be invited, especially because like yeah. I'm, I'm technically I'm a, like a newer fan, but it's just I'm uh, it is really special to me. Like like I said earlier, being able to like share the experience while reading it with like all my friends and like it, it made like a huge impact on me once I like started reading it and was able to like finish it.
1: Hmm. Um. But I mean, uh, Marion, I'm I'm sure like a big reason we also wanted to have you on was because we we wanted to give you some kind of avenue to promote your new Hedoro podcast, <laughs> which we you know <laughs> mentioned a few times here. But uh, you know, while you're plugging your stuff, please 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 tell us about your new podcast.
4: Sure. Um. So I am part of a a podcast called The Good Friends Anime Club, started by my friend Kadim, uh, who I've known for years, and it's like. Me, Kadeem, Mog, and Derek, and, like, we just get together and, like, shoot the shit about, like, anime, manga, movies, games, etc., whatever. It's just, like, we've been into recently. And, uh, you can find that on Twitter at GoodFriendsCast, uh, uh, and, like, we had an episode about Dor Hedoro, I believe it was this year, it was, if it wasn't in January, it was not like, December of last year. Uh, Didn't you do, but, like, like,
0: two episodes on Dor Hedoro and Good Friends Like, last fall? Because you had one, like, when you were just reading it, and then one after you'd finished it.
4: That's right. Um, it was because, like, uh, part of it was, uh, I think Kadim was like, rereading it, and then, like, we decided to record another episode where that was just, like, the whole, like, back half of the episode, where it's, like, our special theme or whatever. But, yeah, like, obviously, like, as we brought up earlier, it's so hard to, like, cover everything that you would want to uh, in just, like, one sitting. So, Kadim also decided to, like, uh, like, do our own, like, Dora Dora podcast. Um, and it's called Shocking, a Dora Dora podcast. <laughs> um, the, it's pretty good. It's, it's really cool. Um, we commissioned, like, some, like, artwork to, for, like, uh, like episode images or whatever. And it's, like, The Hungry Bug with, like, this really cool kind of, like, psychedelic type of color scheme. And cool. um, the intent was to have, like, a monthly book club where we go through, like, all the volumes, like, once a month. Uh, People can hop in whenever they want. uh, And we would have, like, uh, we have, like, some guests lined up for, like, future episodes. But um, at the moment, uh, we're kind of stalled because of some, like, personal issues that happened with uh, one of us. But um, once uh, all that stuff is, like, resolved, we should be back on schedule. But uh, for now, we have, like, episode one of, like, you know, like, volume one and, like, introducing the whole series and uh how we got into it and everything. And we also uh recorded like a commentary track for like episode one if you wanna like listen to our thoughts as we watch it together. A review is supposed to come out like shortly after like all all this stuff is settled. But basically like you can look forward to like a commentary track for each of the anime episodes, a review that's like separate, uh where it's like actually discussing it. And like the monthly book club episodes. But uh yeah, and that's the the Dora, Dora podcast in like a nutshell. Uh, besides that, uh, I also co-host a bunch of other stuff. My friends joke a- around about me like collecting the the Shonen Jump podcast Infinity Stones.
5: Um,
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm a co-host on the Demon Slayer podcast at Demon Slayer podcast for the manga episodes. I'm on at Haiku Pod. The, from the top of haiku podcast, uh, where we would discuss like manga chapters and anime and news and stuff. Uh, yeah, and I, sometimes I co-host on like my Hero Academia podcast, which I'm actually going to record after this. Oh, nice! <laughs> but uh, all, all my stuff you can find it on my Twitter at microwavy the e before the v, and I have like a pin tweet with all my projects if you want to look at uh, all the podcasts I'm on or any of my writing because I write reviews on my blog or for uh, weekly Shogakugan edition at WSS Talkback on Twitter. Uh I have like a ping pong review, a review uh Komi Can't Communicate and some more stuff in the works.
1: hmm Uh definitely go follow all of Marian's stuff. Uh I'm definitely gonna be listening to that Dora Hidora podcast now that I've actually read all of it. So can't wait. Um but yeah as for our other guests uh Ellie and Diana also thank you for coming on as well.
2: Oh yeah no problem. I'm make it. yeah I was really glad to just like t- be able to shoot the shit and finally talk about this.
1: Um, and I guess uh, I guess, Diana, if you want to talk about your stuff as well, or I guess whatever you have.
3: I am a uh, cosplayer who's basically on hiatus because there are no more anime cons, but I have a Twitter where you'll get to see me posting about the things that I love, photos of my cats, and the few costumes I actually am making. It's at Silencedrowns, I talk a lot, but I will definitely eventually get you into something cool if you follow me long enough, so.
4: You had me at cats.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have three of them. They're perfect. You might have heard one of them meowing in the background at some point.
1: All right, and uh, Ellie, how about yourself?
3: Um, I don't really
2: run anything, personally. I mean, I just do have a Twitter, um, Blackass Smoko, which is actually one of the tracks off the original Doro OST. <laughs> And I really just retweet whatever is on my mind. What I talk about, whatever's on my mind. Um, I don't really have much of anything that I um, put out there. I did used to do amateur translations um, with what little Japanese I remember, but <laughs> I've definitely put that on hold as of now.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember. I remember seeing those a couple years back. Um, those were always fun to see out of context. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they're not great, but they were good practice. But, you know. Uh, wish I could find, think of something I could promote, but.
3: I can promote something else. When <laughs> it comes out in English officially, please read Die Dark. It yeah. is Kyu new manga. And if you like Dora Hadoro, you will like this.
0: Thank you, oh Seven Seas
1: boy yeah we we might we might have to do an episode on die dark at some point because i i definitely want to read the first volume of that perhaps Mm -hmm. when it gets a little
2: longer because i think it's only like
1: almost two volumes
2: in i think that's
1: it though oh i I meant just maybe even just talking about the first volume or whatever just giving like a first impressions kind of thing because i i want to read more i definitely want to read more stuff from hayashida and uh if you you guys want to be on for that you know you're more than welcome
2: Hell yeah. Oh yeah, certainly. Definitely. Awesome.
1: All right. But uh, yeah, again, once again, thank you guys so much for coming on. This was a really good discussion. Uh, by read Hidoro. Please support it. It's a really good comic. And uh, yeah, I guess Lum and I will go ahead and uh, end the rest of the show.
0: Yeah, it's time to climb out of the hole and get some gyoza. I'm hungry.
4: you <laughs>
0: Thanks again to Ellie, Mary, and Deanna for coming on to discuss Dora Dora with us. It's been a long time coming, and we had a lot of fun discussing the series. And, yeah, I mean... There's a lot to explore in the world of Doro Hedoro. So as more seasons of the anime comes out in particular, I think we'll continue to see more great discussions of it. Oh, yeah. And speaking of, we mentioned it on the show, but our good friend Marion did start up a new Doro Hedoro podcast with the other compatriots of the Good Friends anime podcast. And unfortunately, it's been on a little bit of a hiatus right now. But they've covered the first volume of the manga and first episode of the anime. So you can hear their thoughts on both mediums, the beginning parts, and look forward to them return to the series at a later date. For more thoughts on the anime, as well as other Netflix anime, Anime Feminist did a recent podcast going over a bunch of the new Netflix Anime debuts of the past year, Dora Dora included. They were quite a big fan, especially of Noi and her big muscles. And (laughs) yeah, you can definitely check that out. It's a good listen for talks on all of Lighty series. Honestly, probably the highlight is them just tearing apart the final arc of The Great Pretender, which (laughs) I'm quite surprised that... uh, that show, people really didn't like uh, that final arc of it. I haven't seen it yet, but it makes me curious to watch it just to see just how it falls apart, apparently. Uh, but enough. speaking of enemy feminists, they do have a great piece by Kirsten Dorov about the worlds that Kiyo Hayashida creates in her manga. Not just in Doridoro, but even in her new series, Die Dark, they really go into her style, her aesthetics, her influences. It's a really great look and tribute and analysis of her artwork and her storytelling. And also of how she writes her characters, particularly the women in her series. So definitely check out this for even more enriching thoughts on Hyoia and the crazy worlds she brings to life through her imagination. Some of my utter shout-outs this time, though, are going to go to a few fan project thingamajiggers. First off, Devinega on Twitter has been doing a great criticism shred of Bakuman. Basically, as they've been reading through the series, they've been kind of picking it apart. And while they they do actually do some fair-minded criticisms of the series in terms of, hey, this is some parts when it's talking about jump where it it kind of works and it's compelling. But a lot of what is cathartic on the thread is just them riffing and tearing apart all the sexist bullshit, all the inane character writing and decisions, like how alien and unlikable the characters really are, which is very, again, cathartic to me, as this is kind of the experience I had when I drew... Tr- tried rereading it when we did our podcast for it a few years ago. So oh, I yeah. think it's a great thread to do an autopsy of Bakuman and then really Heron in the home, the point, especially with the recent ending of Platinum N, which had a bonkers ending that was just so nihilistic. I was saying, man, yeah, Oba's only good written series with that note, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that thread is a delight. They're just about done with the series, so you can read it in its entirety. But something else I'd like to recommend you check out, and this is something that's been in the works for a long time, is Kan Sanshu recently did a Twitch stream going over their new wiki that is gonna, that's been in development for years, and they goes through like all the articles that they've created so far, like how the layout of the site looks. And it's just super cool. Like all the work they put into it, how detailed the wiki and so many of these pages are. And then again, it, For a long time now, they've been kind of revealing, digging to their work process and how they've gone about, like, making pages for this wiki, like, over the past couple of years on the podcast. But seeing it finally, like, on this live stream, like, seeing what the site is looking at. Like, right now, and just how exhaustively detailed it is, including sections for like fan works and fan content. Like, that is really, really impressive. So, you gotta check that out. It's, it's really a labor of love and a lot of hard work, and I'm super excited to see it when it launches. And next, I want to mention something cool in the works, and that's Chargeman can reanimate A new reanimate project from Charles Brubaker, who is the artist of A Fuzzy Princess and Ask a Cat and has done a lot of different comics for Mad Magazine and SpongeBob. And I've known Charles for a long time since uh, Animation Revelation. We were both on there. And I've enjoyed this for a long time, and I think this is a cool reanimate project to reanimate, like, one of the most infamously bad anime ever made. <laughs> in particular, one of its own most infamously bad episodes, uh, Dynamite in the Brain, which is as crazy as it sounds. And yeah, I'm going to take part in this and get to animate a cool dino scene. So I'm looking forward to that. And this project uh, is open until basically November. Like They're giving everyone a year to work on this, basically. So there's still plenty of time to join in. I'm pretty sure there's almost like 80 shops uh, left for people to choose from. So yeah, definitely join in on this project if you're an amateur artist who want to contribute. You don't need to even be a super proficient one because I mean, look at Charge Ken.
1: That
0: show is barely animated as it was.
1: Ooh, so. I didn't know people liked Chargeman Ken because it was bad. Um, man, I might I might have to I might have to check that series out at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all on Crunchyroll. I like
1: a good trip It has just
0: amazing. It has amazing episode descriptions on Crunchyroll. Like, just riffing on the, the episodes. Like, they... I appreciate Disco Tech. They really know how to write some good copies for some of these episode descriptions. <laughs> but final thing to mention on this episode is Mr. Boop recently ended. If you didn't read Mr. Boop last year, I don't know what you were doing on the internet. But you should read Mr. Boop. Because it is... Uh, definitely one of the most insane comics journeys he'll go on. What starts as just what seems to be like a silly gag of, oh, this guy has wrote himself married to Betty Boop and they're super in love and horny for each other. Just <laughs> grows crazier and crazier into like an existential examination of... His desire for just unyielding validation and love and losing himself in fantasy and fictional characters and then realizing he has to make free. And it all is basically, it's very inspired by Evangelion down to the point where the ending is pretty much uh, lifted from end of Evangelion, completely using Komsu Sardad, so definitely check it out it's a it's a wild ride it's a great journey it's hilarious i'm looking forward to alec robbins's next comics work but those are gonna do it for my shout outs for this time and now i think uh we'll go wrap up the show and
1: go out and get some yosa because i'm hungry (laughs) yeah i was actually just thinking hey maybe i should order from uh from my local thai food restaurant actually um Boy, uh, yeah, but I hope everybody enjoyed our Dora Hadoro discussion, and uh, yeah, I, I hope you guys will enjoy our next podcast, because, uh, I mean, I don't know, I think we can say uh, what our next podcast is going to be, right?
0: Yeah, it'll be just, an, again, another long-awaited release, but this one has been on the Patreon for a couple months now, our Blank Canvas retrospective. With Jenny McKeon, translator of the series and so many other great series, it was great to discuss Akiko Higashimura's really touching and very relatable, especially if you're an artist, autobiographical manga of her journey as an art student into becoming a professional mangaka and had a really lovely time talking to Jenny about the series and about her own career journey as a manga translator because there
1: were a ton of great conversation and insights to have there not to give too much away but blank canvas it's uh, it's pretty good but yeah uh, you guys can uh, can look forward to that podcast uh, hopefully coming out the week after you're listening to this uh, and so yeah uh, that's what you have to look forward to and uh just just a quick reminder before uh, I go into everything here uh our mangomerrick survey is still going. And, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, the link to our survey will be in the description uh for this episode. Please go ahead and take it if you have any thoughts on the podcast uh we're We're definitely kind of looking for feedback on a few particular things such as like how many uh licenses we should cover in one episode uh how many simul pubs we should cover moving forward all that kind of stuff. Uh, ideas for, like, stuff we could do on the Patreon, especially for anime watch-throughs. I'm, I'm now kind of convinced that maybe we should do Chargeman Ken at some point. Um,
0: <laughs> it's not too late to add that as an option.
1: <laughs> oh, man. But, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking for feedback on a few specific things, but, but just in general, we're also just kind of looking for, like, also, because we're going to be celebrating our 150th episode soon, like, you know, what your guys' favorite episodes are, favorite guests are uh, your favorite thumbnails that, uh, that Lum draws for the podcast uh, and all that kind of stuff. So please take the survey. If you haven't, we'd really appreciate your, uh, any and all feedback that you have. Um, that survey is going to be open until January 31st, uh, because that is when we are going to be recording for the 150th episode as well. Um, and speaking of your thumbnails, Lum, uh you know, you should talk about where everybody can find your stuff.
0: Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at And pretty much everywhere I'm at, I'm by that name, Adam Rishi, Revelation. Annie, let's write this so on That's where you can find me. And you can read my reviews on allashcumber.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. So check out those on there. And yes, if you want to check out the artwork I do for this show and just in general, you can check out all my art on my Instagram, at saidartworks.
1: All right. Uh, But as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also do a lot of other podcasts on the side uh, that you can find links to over at uh, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Basically, I have a page dedicated to whatever podcasts I'm doing at the moment. And you can just find the rest of my stuff there. I have too many other podcasts that I'm doing to list, which is why I made a page for them. So you can just go visit that page again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for uh, All Comic and the podcast, uh, obviously we, we post every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast on AllComic.com. So where we post every episode first. Unless you're a patron at patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks, we're at the $2 tier. Uh, you could basically uh, get access to early editions of the podcast, basically, whenever we have them edited early and, uh, you know, but before they go up on our main feed and on AllComic. Uh, again, for our Dora Hedora podcast, uh you could have listened to this a whole week ahead of time, and uh, st- again stuff like our blank canvas podcast you know st- stuff that you know d- depending on our scheduling you know might end up on there on our patreon for months at a time because we just Our schedules change and we move a lot of podcasts to the back burner, unfortunately. And uh, that's kind of why our Patreon, that's part of the reason why we have our Patreon. is So that way, you know, we can get our podcasts out as early as possible for the listeners, uh, especially for our patrons. And uh, yeah, that's at the $2 tier. And again, at the $5 tier, you can get access to uh, a new monthly bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, Right now, we are uh, uploading episodes of our Manga Merics Book Club podcast, where we basically cover different manga, volume by volume, more in-depth. Specifically manga that we covered on the show before, like Saint Seiya, the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kuramata. We are still in the midst of kind of reading through that series, 100% blind. It is my first time reading through the series, as well as Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime podcast. Uh, I have him with me reading through the series. It is quite the trip. Uh, and yeah, you can expect a new episode of that uh, at the end of January. And I can't believe I forgot to mention this. Uh, until then, until we put the next episode of that up, uh, go ahead and listen to our Shun and Jump retrospective from 2020. Um, we spent almost three hours... Uh, talking about uh, you know our thoughts on Shun and Jump over the past year with our good friend Maxi Bernard uh, from Friendship After Victory, our good Shun Jump expert. It was a f- really fun podcast. We had a lot of thoughts on a lot of different series, especially the series that ended over the past year. Um, mm-hmm. th- that's available for all patrons actually. So if you even sign up for as low as a dollar, you'll get access to that almost three hour long podcast. Uh, a, spe- a special treat for all of our patrons. Uh, for supporting us over the past year. Again, moving forward, I think our Jump Retrospectives will basically just be available for all, for all patrons. Uh, again, as as a special thank you for uh, for following us and supporting us, again, you can find all this and more at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It's really the best way to support our show. And uh, we thank you for your patronage. But uh, as for everything else, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Comic. Or at twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks uh, for different excerpts of the podcast and uh you know even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Uh, email us at mangaerics at gmail.com. Uh, what do you think about Dora Hidoro and everything from Q Hayashida? Uh What do you think about One Piece reaching a thousand chapters? Uh, you know, just what w- what are you reading? What do you want us to What do you want us to talk about on the podcast? You know, just just let us know your thoughts on the podcast or whatever manga you ha- you happen to be reading. Uh, we love getting emails, and you can uh, you can send them to us at mangaerics at gmail.com. and we will read them on the show. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a bunch of different platforms. But especially on Apple Podcasts, uh, we would really appreciate it if you leave us a rating and a review. Uh, uh, just in general, we love getting feedback for the show. And, uh, yeah, it really, helps, uh, it really helps the visibility of our show on that platform as well. And, uh, yeah, uh, we appreciate whatever feedback you're willing to give us. But, yeah, that's going to be about it for the show. Uh, This has been episode 147 of the Manga Mavericks Podcast, and we will see you guys next time for episode 148. Bye, guys. Sayonara!